What up, y'all? On today's episode, we have my boy, Lucas Artais. I met Lucas as far as like deep, close, um, developed friendships, kind of a hypothetical best man list. I met Lucas relatively late in life. I met Lucas in, I guess, technically 2011 um, when we were both teaching out in Phoenix. Uh, we didn't really start hanging out regularly to 2012, 2013, but we, we soon became fast friends. Uh, we both left teaching in Phoenix. I moved down to Honduras to do nonprofit work down there, and then Lucas went off to law school at the University of Chicago. Um, I have close family in Chicago. My sister and her kids are in Chicago, so every time I would go up to visit them, when Lucas was in law school, I would you know always take a day or two to go down and hang out Lucas at his apartment and uh, hang out at U Chicago, and that's when our friendship really started to blossom. Um, and now our friendship has reached like peak closeness, peak friendship level. Lucas is uh, my baby's daddy. I am Lucas's nanny. Um, at the we've been talking about this kind of hypothetically, and we get into it in the podcast exactly how this came about, but kind of uh, half jokingly for several years. Um, Lucas was living, obviously, a, a more traditional lifestyle, and I was living my vagabond, exploratory lifestyle. And, um, you know, we would half-jokingly talk about, hey, when, you know, I get married and have a kid, you should be my nanny and live in my basement and teach kids Spanish. And then slowly but surely over the years, uh, that became less and less a joke and more and more of an actual reality. And as I got into my late 20s and 30s, and uh, my priorities started to change, and um, I started to really kind of solidify this fact that I wanted, I do truly want to be a father at some point. Um, coming out and being Lucas's nanny seemed like the perfect opportunity to do a dad internship, essentially, to truly uh, prepare myself for fatherhood, something I am not taking lightly, um, something I want to be truly prepared for when the time comes, something I want to be able to hit the ground running, uh, doing when I do have my own child. And and I, I really don't want to do so. Um, I would really like that to be my, my full focus. Ideally, I'd like to be a full-time stay-at-home dad, if possible, or at least work from home. And so uh, being his nanny is, is kind of the perfect uh, way to, to learn the ropes of that potential lifestyle. Anyway, um, uh, so I moved out here at the end of, right at the end of 2019 and have been out here ever since. And then COVID hit and uh, <laughs> our relationship with both Lucas, his wife, and obviously his beautiful daughter has gotten far closer than we ever expected. We are all trapped in the same house together. I live in the guest house. I live in the guest house in the back and um, they work from home. And so we're all uh, <laughs> very much on top of each other and very close. And um, actually things are going, going, going really, really well. Um, Lucas is one of the smartest. He may be my most intelligent friend from just a classic intelligence standpoint, uh, SAT score standpoint, academic knowledge standpoint. He certainly has intelligence far beyond the traditional um, realm of academia. You know, he just has a powerful brain. But as you know, as far as academia is concerned, you know, he's 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 uh, incredibly powerful being probably the most intelligent friend I have um, in that sense. Um, He's a lawyer. Well, he'll get into all his stuff. This is a couple um, things that are unique about this interview. First, this is going to be the last of my pre-recorded interviews, and I have no further interviews recorded after this. We recorded this at the very end of 2019 when I first moved out to L.A. I have not recorded any interviews since. All of the previous 
episodes of this podcast were recorded prior to the recording of this, you know, throughout 20, from 2017 to 2019. So all interviews following this will be, you know, essentially, you know, recorded in real time, much more like a uh, traditional podcast. I record them, you know, on Monday and post it on Tuesday or on Monday night. And so that's how things will go going forward. This is the last interview I had recorded. And so um, things are up in the air from here. Um, also, a little different with this interview, we don't, kind of with all the other interviews, I took more of a traditional start from the day you were born and then tell your life story format. We start the interview here with um, getting in. I think we just started recording it randomly. I don't think we actually even planned on recording it. I think we were just talking about his childhood, and I was like, I'm going to grab the recorder. So we do start off talking about um, the economic hardships that his family experienced growing up. Lucas grew up in rural-ish Oregon. Um, and his family did not have much money. And so I think that's kind of where the interview starts and it gets a little choppy. Um, like I said, we didn't plan on recording it at the time. His baby's in the background <laughs> for much of it. Um, so it, it, it kind of gets a little choppy. We maintain a narr- the same narrative throughout. Um, but I think we recorded on, on two or three separate days. And then at least in the beginning of the interview, the baby is kind of interrupting or having to put her down for naps and stuff. But the, the narrative stays throughout and the interview flows, um, ultimately flows nicely and like i said lucas is a (laughs) is a very powerful mind so the guy can go deep on any topic you want um i think that's it as far as the intro here is my boy lucas artis what you were saying about being poor as a child was it wasn't poor yeah poor relative right yeah and also i think josephine you can't Mm. The one thing she like, she knows. Yeah, she can sense that ample bottle. I'm drinking out of this ample bottle. I really wish she didn't say. Watch. Um. Good choice. So at least in my house, growing up, the what I observed. In my parents, especially, but I've seen this kind of play out in my siblings and how they've come to, you know, I'd say their relationship with money. There are like two disadvantages. There are more than that, but there are two disadvantages, primary disadvantages that I observed around not having a lot of money. One is just the fact of not being able to buy things and afford things and uh, take advantage of opportunities, whether they're financial or educational or whatever. You know, I had a great life growing up, but I don't think that I was shortchanged or things that we missed out on. But as a factual matter, we wouldn't do certain things, couldn't buy certain things. And that's what, you know, not having money, that's what money's for. But the other effect um, is the stress associated with worrying about money and worrying about the budget, worrying whether or not you're going to be able to, never mind, like, you know, send, give give, give your kids an opportunity, the right opportunity or the best opportunity um, that, that might be available if you had the resources, but also, like, actually paying for things you need like food and gas and cars and house payment or something um, rent if, if you're renting and um, 
so one is the stuff you buy or can't buy, afford or can't afford, and the other is the kind of residual emotional impact of that reality. And as between those two things, I always felt that the latter one was worse. Psychological? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and that <coughs> the stress of making sure you weren't wasting money. And that was like, you know, if, if you don't have much, wasting money is the cardinal sin. Um, buying something that's not on sale when it's on sale half a mile away. Um, you know, going out to eat when you could have packed a lunch. Those kinds of things. Um, leaving lights on. Leaving lights on, opening the door. If you got to, you know, pop outside for half a second, grab something that's 15 feet away. Doesn't matter how fast you are, you leave that door open while you make that full trip rather than open, close, go, open, close. Yeah. My dad used to say, uh, I can see my dollars flying, <laughs> flying out the open door. Um, yeah. So, is that a constant? Was it a constant discussion? It wasn't a discussion, but I could tell anytime money came up. Or there was a uh, something occurred that would financially impact. Some of the more visceral memories around money had to do with, like, one time my mom got a speeding ticket. Um, and she was so upset by it. Um, but not because she had to like, interact with the cops or it would go on a record or um, anything like that. It was just the, that's $230 that... Did not need to be burnt. Right. That's two weeks worth of food. Mm-hmm. That's, um, you know. And so that, uh, you know, there, there are kind of virtuous framings of it, right? Like, mind the pennies and the dollars will take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. A penny saved is a penny earned. Mm-hmm. Those types of things where um, there's something yeah, like virtuous. But there's kind of this unavoidable uh, side effect of living that way. That you're going to have to pay attention to something that other people don't necessarily have to pay attention to. Totally. And, um, and I think when I got to a place in my life and career where I knew that I didn't have to do that. I could, and maybe there would be some down-the-road payoff. and Didn't have to do what? Didn't have to care so much. Oh, right. About... Frugality. Right. And didn't have to um, spend time and energy and focus on saving money. Um and didn't have to beat myself up emotionally for spending money. And that's another thing that, like... It's a, I mean, you nailed it. It's the psychological effects. Uh, right. We started this recording this because I asked you, how does it feel now that you're a successful... Both you and your wife are successful right. lawyers at right. high-powered firms. Money is not right. an issue necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. How does that feel? And yeah. is there anything... It's, yeah. So it's there's two kind it's, of... Coming back to those first two things we're talking about, what you can afford, what you can buy, what you can do, whereas you couldn't otherwise. And then the the stress that you necessarily have to take on because this thing is a 
precious resources. If you don't focus on it, if you don't worry about it, you know, your daughter's flat the door. Right. Um, the advantage, that the thing that I'm thankful for is that I don't worry about that stuff. Like, I can go... Just yesterday, we were shopping, right? We went to a couple different stores. There are a couple other stores that we'll, we'll shop at and go to. And I was at, we were at El Super, and I was noticing certain prices. Yep. Because we were paying attention to it and realizing that certain items are a lot cheaper there than they are at a number of other stores that I go to. But I don't go to multiple stores on a given day. Right. I will go to one store and I will buy the things that I want or need or the recipe requires without a view towards, oh, I know this is, you know, cheaper down the road. Uh-huh. And the there is I end up spending more money. Right. Right. But the, the advantage is I don't spend my time worrying about if I can save 50 cents a pound at El Super rather than this other place. Right. And that trade-off that I'm going to wor- I get to worry less is the thing that money has, has given me to go from it and growing up and learning that we didn't have much money to now being in a place where we do have plenty of resources um, the good thing about that is not that we can buy things um, it's that I don't have to worry about whether or not I can buy something right if I if I want to buy this and it's not on sale, but you know, this is what we we want to have for dinner, um, or I think you know some device or gadget or whatever is gonna make our life with Joe easier, or um, you know, Sue takes a lot of conference calls, so I just got her uh, the AirPods because those have microphones and. Mm-hmm. Um, and I use them for conference calls, and it's great. It really is like I used to worry about how I would take a call. Do I have this on speakerphone so I can tie it? You know, and if I'm using some like all, like third-party brand Bluetooth device, how is it going to sync? And if I drop the call, like what happens? And now the fact that I can just buy an overpriced pair of like Bluetooth earbuds that that really is well synced to the iPhone that I don't need um, is great yeah. and and so th- that's nice but more importantly it's I don't I don't worry and stress or beat myself up about spending money or, or making a, a decision at the grocery store or on Amazon that like you know this is cool I buy it I use it a couple times and then it just kind of sits there and I'm like oh that was a waste of money Waste of twenty bucks. Yeah, I think that's the coolest part about your view of it. And I think if I ever get to a point in my life where I I have you know significant expendable income, that's how I'd like to approach it. There's nothing like some super fancy material object that I'm that I want to purchase, but just the fact like like you said, if there is something, yeah, earpods, yeah, that in your you're still but you're still looking at those. What are they like seventy five dollars or something? I think they're a hundred bucks, like, hundred fifty bucks, something like that, for a pair of headphones. Yeah, you probably still look at that price sticker mm-hmm. 
from your 12-year-old brain or your yes. 16, 20-year-old brain. And you're like, what the less, fuck? Less so if I'm looking at it, I buy it, and then in this case, I gave it to Sue as an early present. Right. Um, because she's had all these calls. More if my family was visiting and they saw Sue using these and were like, those are cool. Oh, it's got a microphone. Oh, these are like wireless. It's like a headset, but it's kind of discreet. Um, those are great, you know, and, and if, if the price came up, I would be uncomfortable. Okay. Saying to my parents, uh, yeah, those are like, a, you know, $150. So the feeling, if you were to have that discuss, if that situation would arise, which is a totally reasonable situation to arise, mm-hmm. the feeling would be more uncomfortableness than like pride. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because, you know, they, um, coming back to like the whole framing of frugality as a virtue, uh, and the other thing is like they see $150 spent on a pair of iPhones as, oh, that could be money that you could put, you could pay off student loans and then you're that much closer to being debt free. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, you put this into a college fund for Jojo and then, you know, that's $150. She's not going to have to go into debt later on Mm -hmm. when she goes to college. Now, setting aside for the fact that, you know, this kid's not going to have to worry about debt for college. Right. And also I'll encourage her to like not go to college, not go to college, take take a gap year, you know, not, not just go because that's what you do after high school. Um, but also, uh, yeah, there's, there's another $150, like, then there's more than that. Right. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, um, yeah. That's, Do you think that's something your parents, like, don't even really quite grasp? Yeah. So we had, not arguments, largely because I kind of shut the conversations down when I re- recognized that, like, this was just difference of perspective. But before she was born, my mom would ask about, you know, who was going to stay home and, like, what we were going to do uh, for for childcare. Um, on the assumption, and her thing is, like, uh, if one parent can stay home full-time, if you can afford that, you should do it because it's the best objectively. Mm-hmm. Um, that is normatively speaking, the best way to raise kids is with at least one parent home full time. Um, and you know, my mom knows ballpark what we make. Um, at least she knows what I started off making, and I think she knows we get raises every year. And, She'd probably freak out if she knew what we make now, but she knows we have money. Um, and she... What? Sorry to interject. Yeah. Do you think her reaction to that, to that number, is my more mind, negative than positive? Not, it's not negative at all. It okay. would be like, oh my gosh, that's a lot of money. Right. Um, and my reaction is like that. If, if, we, if, if we were like actually sit down think about what my salary is what Sue's salary is and what our bonuses are and then total that up and say X number per year I'm like 
holy shit. <laughs> that's a lot of money. Right. Because that's not, you know, that's not what I grew up with. Right. Well. And, and so even one of our salary plus bonus, or even just our salary is, is, um, many times, uh, five, six times what my dad was making right. when my mom was staying home with, with us. So my mom sees we're having a kid. She knows that we make good money. She thinks, great, you have the money to have one person stay home full time. You only need one of you to work. You can, you can survive and thrive on only one salary. Um, aren't you like, Congratulations! You did you it. it, right? Yeah. And to us, it's like uh, that's not necessarily what we want to do. Um, and she's like, "Why not? Like, why? You know, why do you need this additional money?" Um, and okay, I'm going to chime in here because the, a common theme throughout these interviews I've been doing over the last couple of years is this the. A gen- the general theme is like I have no idea how to like be an adult right. on planet Earth, yeah. and so I'm trying to just take a step back and observe other people being adults on planet Earth and trying to learn yeah. how to do it. Right. And a big theme has been this concept I call the assembly line life, where you are born out mm-hmm. of this factory, and then as humans, especially in the Western world, we are just these uh, drones. Mm-hmm. We are drones that come out of the factory. And then we go to the first stage of sure. like reequipping ourselves in elementary school, and mm-hmm. then that spits us out on the assembly line to the next factory, right. middle school, da 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 da. And it seems like everyone is kind of following the same path, and that ultimately, generally speaking, it's it's this we're living the same life as we were when we were cave people. We we reproduce. We are born. Mm-hmm. We learn how to be adults ourselves and survive individually. Right. Then we create other human beings. Mm-hmm. We teach them how to be adults individually. Right. Then we die. Mm-hmm. They, our offspring, are now adults. They reproduce, mm-hmm. teach the next person how to be an adult. Then right. they die and go on and go on. Right. And so your mom's approach, your mom's thinking seems to me very much in line with that. Listen, you made it. Yeah. You were born. Yeah. You survived childhood. Yeah. You became an adult. You learned how to become self-sufficient. You're no longer leaving the cave to go uh, hunt a, 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 right. a woolly mammoth and bring it yes. back to your to your like uh, spouse and child. Mm-hmm. But being a lawyer is just yeah, uh, you know, taking the place of that. Yeah. But I so I'm wondering: is there something more? Like, is there a next level of human existence? And it seems like perhaps what y'all are doing is that. Like, there is something beyond just. Birth, reproduction, right. and death. Right. Y'all are trying to. Your lives aren't over now that you've reproduced. Right. You still are two. You and Sue are two thriving, growing mm-hmm. human individuals. Right. And you want to continue living your own lives and mm-hmm. achieving and accomplishing. Is that yeah. your thinking behind why one of you doesn't stay home? Yeah, that's part of it. I think um, there's other layers. So part of it is that this conversation with my mom, this like disconnect that she and I have about she doesn't quite understand why we're making the choices that we're making because we have this option to approach things the way that she does. I think part of that has to do with, um, one, she raised us and I think our generation she was generally raised to be empowered and I feel empowered to uh, the, the most generic framing would be follow my dreams, right? You can do anything 
don't do, you know, anything just because you're supposed to or um, because uh, it's what your dad did. Right. Uh, you know, you should make an informed and, and um, well-reasoned and well-reflected um, decision about what to do with your life. And they really encourage us to do that. And I think if I look at my siblings, um, if I were to describe my siblings, you know, Tom teaching in China, Sam studying ducks in Alaska, Ben running his bar, Olivia moving to Australia to pursue this PhD. Yeah. Um, if I describe them to, say, coworkers, they're all like, wow, that's super interesting. They really seem to be kind of pursuing all these things far flung, uh, both in terms of like uh, sector or, or the nature of their work, but also just geographically all over the place. Um, and they view it as kind of like unique and non-traditional and, and all of that. And I think that's, that's true. And I think that's what my parents wanted for us and continue to want for us is that we feel empowered and are able to pursue our passions and do, do all that. Um, and if you look at my life and my career, it's more traditional. It's a little bit more um, mainstream. Even if the numbers of people who become a lawyer versus run a bar, or there's a, a well-worn path mm -hmm. um, that, is, that is also very different from those other four. In my family, I'm kind of an outlier in that I'm doing something that's a lot more traditional, mm -hmm. um, pr professionally speaking. Um, and I think when I talk to my family, not so much my immediate family, they've come around, I have this conversation less with them, uh, but extended family for sure, because they all kind of have a similar perspective. Um, they're, you know, I wouldn't, I don't think they think I sold out, uh, but I think they think that I got sucked into some sort of hamster wheel of societal expectations and like decided to do this thing because it was safe and because uh, it's a profession that people generally recognize as uh, relatively prestigious and um, it's it's something that, you know, it has all the trappings of like uh, middle class, upper middle class um, existence. And they don't see it as maybe this is what I like. You know, my brother likes working with ducks. <laughs> uh, I like working with legal documents mm -hmm. um, and everyone's kind of different and has their different interests I like being a lawyer it's hard and uh, they're, they're uh, you know the time that I have to put forth and the effort and the, the lack of control over my schedule that sometimes comes with that is frustrating but find a job that's not frustrating right. and challenging at times um, I, I like my job I like my career and so when my mom is like oh you know, one of you gets to stay. Oh, and by the way, this goes for Sue as well. She li she likes being a lawyer more than I do, frankly. Um, when she's like, oh, good, one of you gets to stay home. It's like, oh, I don't want to stay home. Mm -hmm. I like work. I like to work. And of course I like staying with Joe. And it, you know, it's, it's going to be hard to be at the office. And it was hard when I was still working when Sue was the one on the 
but uh, I think wrapped up in uh, the question in part is the assumption that we would rather not work um, and that the only reason we're working is because we want the money right right the money outweighs the benefit of getting to spend all day with Jojo and doesn't account for uh, the, the you know, I don't want to go so far as to say joy but the fulfillment of a career that, that you, you tend to like um, and that's part of I think where the disconnect is not less so now I think they've kind of come to recognize that and um, you know and also probably come to just kind of accept it but you know we like our jobs and um, as stressful and demanding as they are sometimes again anything we're doing is going to challenge you and um, so the other thing does have to do with money and this is a harder conversation I don't have this so explicitly with my mom but uh, the value of not raising Joe in an environment where money is stress um, and the, the advantage you know money creates stress individually and tension in relationships and uh, you know that was something that um, you know, if I could just take take a you know a scalpel and like carve that particular thing out of my my childhood and my home life growing up, and my parents' relationship, and all that, I would because I don't think it's a positive thing. And one another advantage of both of us working is that we don't have that stress. We have other stress. We have schedule, time constraints. Um, demands at work, but you know, that's a trade off. Life's about trade offs, and so for us, we've at least for now, we're making this trade off that, um, yeah, we're gonna be busier than my parents were growing up when, when we were growing up. Um, but there, there are other advantages. Another thing that I know is important to Sue is that when she was growing up, you know, she was born in Korea, a different time, and um, her mom was a stay-at-home mom. Um, and Sue saw her mom give up a career to raise the kid. And that is part of what drives Sue now in her career, is that, you know, my mom was, I wouldn't say denied this opportunity, but uh, didn't do this thing. And I want to do this thing as much to prove to myself and to my family that, like, you know, I, I don't know. I, Sue's family's fantastic, and they're progressive, and they support her in her career. And I, I don't mean to say that they think she should be at home. I don't. I don't think they think that. I think if you ask them, they would say she's doing the right thing, actually. Um, but I think generationally and societally, there is some of that not just in Korea, certainly in the States, um, that the roles and responsibilities of men and women vis-a-vis uh, -vis career and home life are different. And um, Sue is as much thinking about her career as an example for Josephine as she is thinking about it as her own thing to be enjoyed and explored and um, kind of pursued. So 
when my mom says, oh, you know, you should stay home because wouldn't you want to and wouldn't it be better? Um, our perspective is different and it's that, well, maybe, but we like our jobs and we can stay at home if we want to um, as long as that's not going to hurt her, uh, J- Jojo. Um, also, we want to give Joe an example uh, of, you know, what a career woman looks like and uh, some good point pursues that, that and that's there's value in, in that uh, providing that to your child as a parent um, we want to make sure that we have the financial resources to when she's old enough to understand that she doesn't have um, you know anxiety around money I think she, you want to be responsible and it's important to teach good habits around that stuff but the guilt and shame that comes with being poor in our society is um, not a, I don't think positive and so we can alleviate that. And so there's this kind of basket of trade-offs that's um, inherent in what we're doing. The biggest one for me personally has to do with like the stress and anxiety around money. Uh, but all, it also has to do with you raising a kid and um, what example do you want to set and um, you know what what opportunities you want to cover and all that. I'll pause it while you're ready to go pee. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think we'll do a bathroom break and I also want to get Jojo fed. When you look at what look at what you make versus what Corbin makes, is that what you said? Yeah, we're just like wealth generally. Um, it, it seems pretty clear that um, put it this way. If I'm, like, hanging out with my cousins or something, who have careers, but they're pretty... I think one of them's, uh... Actually, they got, they got pretty good... Um, one's getting his PhD in, like, a PT school. One of them is, uh... He's in his last year of law school. I don't think he's going to go work at a firm. Sound like a bunch of fuck-ups. Um, one of them works in like the med- for a medical device company or like medical physics or something. Um, but that wasn't always the case. And when we were younger, we used to talk a little bit about this stuff. And um, the perception was like, I make a lot of money. And, yeah... Personally, when you? I, when I was at my job, like so this job, oh, like okay. as a lawyer, people um, be like, wow, like, you know, you guys get paid a lot. And I, I honestly think the problem is, is a warping of the baseline, like how much, um, how much poor people make, mm. relatively speaking. It's gotcha. not that we make a lot, it's that uh, poor people make so little. Yeah. And also that the, the ultra wealthy, they don't, they don't earn a wage or like even a salary they're not working for a paycheck for the most part it's usually just has to do with the assets that they hold right and how profitable how much wealth the capital generates it's capitalism I heard something recently I had never thought of wealth this way uh-huh. you don't get rich by trading your, your time, time right. for money right yes it's totally true um, but that's also relative because 
I would say, in for instance, let's just take your example. Yeah, you do get rich by trading your time for money. No, I don't. But tends to your definition no, no, no. of rich. rich, right? But, but I think that's that's the thing is there's been because poor people make little. Um, there's been this kind of uh, warping of what it means to have a lot of money, and what's a lot of money, and all that. I you know I'll look this up right now. When um, the minimum wage started. As you're looking that up, let me try one with this. Yeah. That's not entire. That like uh, axiom is that what you would say? Uh, it's not necessarily true. Uh, you, you don't get rich by training your time for money. It does if you have a particularly. You can if you have a particularly unique skill, mm-hmm. right? Professional athletes certainly get rich training their time for money. Act, actors for, for a period of time. Entertainers. Yeah, but those are t- you're talking about the extreme outliers, right? And also. The people who get rich off of football as a pursuit are not the players; they're the owners, right? Gotcha. And the the people who make a ton of money on movies are not the actors; they're the production companies, gotcha. and the dis- distribution companies, the con- the people who own the content. Right? Mm-hmm. It's Disney. It's not uh, The Rock doing his like voice acting. So, it has He's to talented. do with it has to do with uh, there are two things you ask basically when you. You might want to ask when you're evaluating this question. It's like, how much is the enterprise worth? Like, how much is football worth? Right? Um, And also, how is the wealth that's generated from football distributed between uh, the way people talk about it in economic analysis is capital and labor. Right. The people who work and the people who own. And basically, the people who own are the ones who actually make the real money. The right. big money. Because even if it's 50-50 split, there's only 32 of them. Mm. Yeah. Um, let me see. Looking up minimum wage. Yeah, so it started in 1938. Yeah, so at its peak, minimum wage um, was the equivalent of 10 dollars an hour. And to $28. So that's a little off. So it's out of control now, then. What, what do you think the federal minimum wage is? Oh, I'm just saying in places like Seattle, Portland, D.C., California, liberal places. Why is it out of control? Cost of living there is higher. So really, you're thinking about purchasing power in an economy, right? So how much does $10 get you in Portland versus Omaha, Nebraska? The federal minimum wage sets the national floor, right? So we say doesn't matter where you live. You'll never make less than this. But certain localities are free to raise it. And they tend to do it in places where the cost of living is higher. Right? But that's not necessarily... Okay, yeah, okay. I won't pick. Yeah. But, like, Illinois, for instance, is raising the cost of minimum wage. Okay. The plenty of places in Illinois are making $15 an hour. Mm-hmm. It seems a little excessive if you're flipping burgers. Again, I think the question you have to ask is how profitable is the enterprise? And then what percentage of that should go to labor, right? Um, Versus ownership. And I think if you look historically, um, it used to be that due to incremental increases in technology and um, training and education, somebody working in 1950 versus 1960 
the person in 1960 was doing, they were more productive. One hour of their time accomplished more, right? And, and you can follow this trend line through. People today are much more productive because of the tools and technology and like uh, what we know to be efficient ways of, of production, um, how to model assembly lines, what's the best way to like, you know, how should you organize your store to maximize, right? Go to Ikea. They've perfected it. There's a maze, right? You have to see their whole store um, before you can check out. And so, uh, but generally speaking, the individual worker's time is worth more to an enterprise because they're able to do more. In and um, for a long time, as productivity increased, so did their wages. We're going to pay you more because you're more productive. Um, but there was a decoupling. Let me see if I can find it. Pretty popular graph. Okay, so productivity and average real earnings. Essentially, the productivity continues to in, right around 1970. Productivity continues to increase, but wages of uh, for laborers stagnates. Yes. Yeah. So that um, now, who captures the like? We call it economic surplus. Like, who captures the value of that increased productivity? It's the people who own the company, right? The people at McDonald's are not individually, I mean, I guess with burgers, they're flipping them. But the technology, if you go to like a fast food yeah. place, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, now, you could argue, and I think a lot of people would, that, well, that technology was developed not by labor, right? It's not like the dude who was flipping burgers at McDonald's who said, you know, I got this idea. Well, it probably was, right? I mean, you probably had to flip burgers at some point. In some instances. But it was more than likely... Or at least be involved somewhere in the burger flipping process. Maybe. Or it was third parties who, like, saw this going on. They're like, oh, fast food's a thing. There's this many stores nationwide. If I could develop a better mousetrap with respect to this particular process that happens in 80% of fast food things, I'm going to make a lot of money because yeah. I'll be able to sell it to them. And, you know, and they would make a lot of money because these companies would pay a lot of money to the inventor to buy the technology and have it in their various stores. And then you would say, well, that increase in productivity was not due to labor actually getting more skilled or more education or more training. It's, it's an ec economic investment that the ownership made. Um, or it might be the case that McDonald's is like, man, we're running X number of thousands, tens of thousands. I don't know how many stores they have worldwide. Um, and uh, I bet there are some efficiencies. So maybe we'll hire a third party or maybe we'll hire like have an innovation department internally to like look at this issue of you know, and then again, that's that's a cash out, the capital outlay by the company, and so they say, well, we we paid that productivity increase per, on a per worker basis. You know, that's not really because people are working harder or smarter. It's because we spent money to make our business run more efficiently. Mm -hmm. So why should the worker make a dollar more just because I'm running this more right. a dollar more efficiently? And I think. A big part of that kind of disconnect is, is the tension and the kind of oppositional perspective between like ownership and labor, where you say, 
a, a dollar we pay to you is a dollar that we can't take home. And there's this kind of zero-sum game within the firm. Whereas it, it, it used to be um, that ownership and, and, and labor would split. So we just became a dollar more efficient. Here's 50 cents to you. Here's 50 cents to us. And so as our society, technologically, uh, training education, is the whole system is improving and getting better. Um, the owners are going to do better and the workers are going to do better. Well, that's not really the case anymore. People tend to kind of make the same low-wage labor low-wage labor, regardless of how much profit they're generating. They're not partners in the enterprise. They're in expense, right? Maintenance and upkeep, raw materials, labor. These are all expenses. So there's not as much like ownership or, or you know, you don't work at McDonald's and get stock options. You get a paycheck. And it's a small paycheck, which is fine. Um, but you could use that paycheck Theoretically, a portion of it to get stock options in any company. Provided you can cover your cost of living. Uh -huh. And that's kind of what the living wage movement is about, is saying, um, well, it's great that McDonald's is paying these people X dollars, and it's pretty simple work, and they could probably fire this person, put a now hiring sign up, and find somebody else to do it. But by not paying them enough... They've created somebody, they're taking, say, 40 hours of their week away. And so now that person isn't able to kind of hold down another job, or maybe they, they do, they work two jobs, but between these jobs, all their time is tied up and, and they're able to scrape together X amount of dollars per month. Well, what happens if, like, they get sick? Or what happens if, um, you know... They can't afford health insurance because McDonald's isn't giving their employees health insurance. I don't know if they do or not. Besides the point, not, not every employer does. Well, you you and I pay taxes. And so... Well, speak we, for yourself, bro. Right. right. <laughs> people. Uh, people who, who make enough to pay taxes. Um, and, and certainly people who make more money pay more in taxes. To pay for that person's health insurance to pay for that housing subsidy to pay for, um, you know, that the, uh, the types of expenses that they can't cover, but that we as a society say, well, it wouldn't be a good thing if like you get sick and you die, you can go to the ER, right? Maybe we'll go into medical debt or whatever, wages garnished, but there's a kind of a baseline of services that we as a society think that people should have regardless of their, their station in life. But the effect of, you know, McDonald's, how much profit did they make last year? Right? They were able to make that profit in part because taxpayers subsidized their income, the work, the, the money that they made from McDonald's. McDonald's says, here's 80 cents. And it turns out it costs a dollar to live in society. So taxpayers said, hey, here's 20 cents, right? And who's better off because of that? Certainly the worker, but also McDonald's. Because now their their employees have health insurance, right? And so this is a type of corporate welfare, right? Social, or social programs and like public assistance. Um, when it goes to people who are employed full time, in a way is a subsidy for their employer 
because it makes sure that they're in a situation where they can continue to show up to work. They don't have to take the time off because they're sick all the time, right? And so the, the hurt, right? Why should you increase the minimum wage? Why is that a good idea, right? Well, it actually, it, it forces employers to pay what it actually costs to be a worker in society, to, to make a car payment, to make a house payment or pay rent, pay for health insurance, that sort of thing. Because otherwise the, the people who own the company are like, we're going to pay our employees dirt. Uh, the public will pick up the slack in terms of what it costs to live. So we'll still have employees who still show up every day. Um, and so that kind of disconnect between the people that are who own the business, right, and the people who pay for it is, is um, you know, I'm not making money off of McDonald's. I don't see a return on my, you know, wages that I pay to um, McDonald's employees in the form of taxes. I'm going to transition hmm. from minimum wage talk hmm. to paying a nanny talk. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I'm here as your nanny. Mm-hmm. What is it when y'all have this kid? Mm-hmm. Fortunately, you work for these these awesome law firms. They have, at least for this country, awesome maternity and paternity leave policies. Right. What was y'all thinking as you're getting pregnant to giving birth to offspring? Mm-hmm. To like getting into your maternity and paternity leave months. Mm-hmm. What y'all thinking in discussion about, okay, what are we doing here? Because as you mentioned in before we went to pee, before we paused, both y'all want to continue working. Right. So what y'all thinking about how getting this kid to kindergarten? <laughs> so uh, part of it, part of the benefit of our jobs is that even though they're extremely demanding and time consuming, they're also very flexible. So we'll, you'll be, you'll have a first row seat to see how around we are when we're working. Um, and I hope it's more than, uh, you know, more than if we were working nine to five. Now we'll see. You think you'll be around more than when you were working nine to five? Mm-hmm. I think, I think I will spend less time at the office than nine to five. So are you anticipating I'm work, work going back, kind of tying it to the minimum wage thing, are you anticipating I'm not working 40-hour weeks? Yeah. Wow. Or I think you're going to be available, or I hope you're going to be available um, for about 40 hours a week. I'm available whenever you need me. Right. And that's the benefit. But like, let's say I have a slow day at work. Or let's say, you know, given day, I, I go into the office at 930. I leave here at 930, get in around 10 work for a bit and then come home at four. Now I might get an email that says like, Hey, I need this turned quickly. In which case I say, Hey Alex, I got to take care of this thing. Can you keep an eye on Joe for a bit? But you know, and of course I want you to be, and you are welcome to be like here and in the room and in the house and all that. But if you're like, Hey, you're home uh, I'm going to go run to the store. I'm going to go for a quick jog or something. Yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. Keep your phone on. Mm-hmm. But that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think you, you, you my expectation, and um, I hope this is how it shakes out, is that while we need you to be available, 
Um, I don't anticipate you you being here with Joe by yourself more than 40 hours a week. Hopefully far less. Cool. Hopefully closer to 30. I think each of us will work from home at least one day a week. Um, I think we'll also tend to leave earlier than we would otherwise. Now, the flip side of that is uh, there are certain things at work that are deadline-driven. And it's like, I need to get this done by five or by close of business or all that. And that's, I'll have to do that. But there are a lot of things that are more like by tomorrow, by next week, by Thursday. And in those cases, it's like, all right, I don't have to do this right now. Mm -hmm. Most people choose to because it's like, it's easy to just keep regular working hour schedule. But if that's the case, I can come home early, play with my kid, uh, see you, then put Joe, give her a bath, put her to bed around seven, have dinner, eight, then log back on and do an hour or two of work. Uh, or, you know, because there's two of us, like two of us, me and Sue, working. You know, she has something she needs to do. She can go do that while I play with the kid. And then I need to do something. I'll go play with the kid. There's much less... One of the interesting things about our jobs, when we're busy, we're busy. And when we have deadlines, we have deadlines. But outside of that, there's much less uh, distinction between uh, the the workday and other hours. Like the eight hours that people typically keep and the other 16. And also uh, weekday, weekend. This job is could be any time, any day. Uh, I would say sixty percent of my work is like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, around broad deadlines, like this needs to be done sometime in the next seventy-two hours. Gotcha. Which hours I use of that seventy-two to get it done is up to me. So long as I'm like leaving enough time, uh, putting myself in a position where, let's say, a question comes, like let's say it's due tomorrow at nine a.m. If I start it and I think it's going to take me five hours and I start it at midnight and like at three in the morning, I'm like, oh shit, I have some questions. Uh, I've kind of fucked myself here because the person I need answers from is probably asleep. Mm -hmm. And I haven't given myself enough time to like... So in that instance... I should have done it either during waking hours or at least gone through it enough or like done enough of it that I knew that if I had questions, I could ask them before I kind of jam myself up Mm -hmm. there at the end. But independent of those wrinkles, it's kind of up to me to decide which hours I use to do it. And ideally I'll be doing that when she's sleeping, whether that's a nap or um, at night. Talk to me more about your qualitative, y'all's qualitative calculus uh, regarding finding childcare for Joe, I'm sure there's anxiety surrounding that. Like, who like, is going to be in our house? Uh, what was y'all thinking in terms of ultimately you ended up with me? Right, 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 right. Okay, so when we were thinking about what's the best situation, yeah, what are the options? So we have, through my job, we have on site childcare. Um, I think it opens at seven, I think it's seven to seven, maybe. Um, but I think you, you're signed up. I didn't. We didn't go that route, so we didn't go that far down the Is path. Is it free? No, no, no. Oh, no. It's like I think it's, uh, you know, probably two and a half grand, probably yeah. a month. 
um, certainly over $2,000. And it's like, you know, the ratio is like one adult to three kids and the ratio is different for different age groups. But they're like extremely, um, uh, it's it's the highest level of quality that like exists for childcare in this case. So it's like, you know, you get reports like, oh, your child took a shit at this time, went for a nap at this time and had this to eat and this was the afternoon activity and like you can get text messages and all that. So um, it's, it's high quality child care, but it's, you know, like daycare um, during during the work week. It's across the street from my office and they have a policy that you can stop in any time. So uh, on the day that I'm slow, on the day that. I might otherwise come home early and, you know, hang out with you guys and then um, do a little bit more work later on. I can, you know, take an hour or two in the middle of the day and just roll over there and see her and all that and check on her, see how she's doing. Um, We ultimately decided not to go that route for a number of reasons. One, we thought it was too early to put her in a daycare. Two, um... There's nothing better than one-to-one in terms of attention and um, engagement and all that. Uh, so even though their numbers are great and they're like, you know, childcare professionals, they're trained in this, it's it's not quite the same. Um, and ultimately, it wasn't going to cover all of our needs all the time, or at least not necessarily. There will likely come a time... Um, when we can't make it home before bedtime or we couldn't pick her up by whatever the cutoff is and uh, and do our jobs. And those are like, you know, you can let people know you have to do it, but it, it is kind of a, a pain. And before we signed up for that and kind of committed to that route, we wanted to do our best to get a sense of what's possible. And so, like, it's one thing to to be in a situation where you're working and it's like, Oh, uh, I could go home if I wanted to, but like Sue's on leave, so I'm not going to leave right now. Sue's home with a baby, so it's not critical that I get out of here, and therefore I'm going to stay and finish. But I bet if I did have to leave, I could. It's like hard to actually test the hypothesis mm-hmm. that I can make. I can commit to these times. Mm-hmm. Now we're in a situation where getting home to relieve you is is a lot more critical to us then it would be for me to come home and just, you know, help with bath time when Sue's here. Um, and so this is a good opportunity for us to, to explore it. So the, we knew in the beginning that we wanted um, a, a one nanny, one-on-one with Joe in the house. And uh, we, we would not have gone the live-in route were it not... Um, you know, these people, the nanny we'd find is local and is going to have family and all that. They have a place to live. Um, and so, yeah, the, the live-in benefit is more, it's, it's more of a benefit to you than it would be to some other nanny. Um, but again, that's, that's a, an additional layer of flexibility that like wouldn't exist. So it, it marginally speaking, but, but, to your original question, like what was our thinking about having a stranger in the house? It's it. We were okay with it as a hypothetical. Um, cause we kind of always knew that this was the route that we would go at least for part of her upbringing. Um, 
but when it came time to actually like put together the post and like what we were going to write about what it was like and you know what we we're expecting what the guaranteed hours are what the hourly rate was um you know whether we wanted somebody cpr certified or like need to be vaccinated or what have you must have your own car right um and, and a license right uh whether or not people if we did go the stranger route we would have like installed cameras all over not all over we'd have a Cover, camera coverage for the house, um, and you know have to be okay with that. That's kind of a weird thing to write in there because who's going to be like, I'm actually not okay with video camera. I you know don't operate that way. It's like, oh shit, who are you? Yeah, why not? Mm-hmm. What are you afraid of? Um, so yeah, it it started to become something that we were getting a little nervous about and not not quite sure on um and yeah we discussed this originally before she was even pregnant right did we Mm -mm. no i think we talked about it um no we did this is because i remember i was teaching pe in dc in that in 2017 2018 she would have gotten pregnant in, what, May of 2018? Mm-hmm. Yeah, school would have been over. I can remember walking through the halls with my class of 30, 14-year-olds being like, dude, hanging out with a baby in a house sounds awesome right now. So here's my recollection of it, is that I didn't... Sue and I didn't talk about it before we were living in this house. And we moved in because we had the, like, studio. Right. Um, and so it wasn't, at least on our end, it wasn't a conversation until we were here. I think it was just like a half-joking thing yeah. between you and I. Yeah, probably. Probably. Like, don't worry, bro. You can always live in our basement. Yeah. I might have said something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um... But I remember you sent me an actual text. You sent me a text. Yeah. Where it was a half-joking text. But I actually, the, the 50% serious part, I was like, oh. Yeah. That could work. And I remember I was teaching and I remember I was dating the girl at the time too and I brought it up with her and it was an issue. Because I'm always throwing out there like, dude, can we please get out of D.C.? Let's move to California. Mm-hmm. And then I threw this out there to her, once again, half-joking, like, oh, Lucas texted him today about being his nanny, ha, ha, ha. Was that- and I remember her response was like, wait, what? Huh. I, I, mm. I'm telling you, dude, it was prior to her getting pregnant. Anyway, it doesn't matter for the purposes of the discussion. Yeah, I know, but I, now I'm, like, curious about this because... All right, so we found it. Yeah. Uh, it began right during... Right around our friend Mike's bachelor party in April of 2018, Luke couldn't make the bachelor party because of his extremely lucrative but demanding job. And I think what opened up the conversation was at the bachelor party in Nashville, we took an Uber to downtown Nashville and our Uber driver was this blatantly racist individual who had no problem 
telling us all his feelings on minority, including the use of every racial slur under the sun. Oh Why there's just four of us like packed into his SUV, just trying to get to the bar. Yeah, uh, and he's spitting his white supremacist philosophy at Jesus us. Christ. And so I mean, we just pulled up. You know, I've had this idea of wanting to do a podcast since I did my first podcast with my buddy Sam in 2013 yeah. in Honduras. And so it's constantly on my mind to like yeah. talk to interesting people. And so I remember once this dude starts dropping in bombs left and right, I'm like, I got to pull out my phone. Jesus. Like I, <laughs> the world needs to know that people like this exist. Yeah. Uh, and Luke couldn't make it. So I remember texting him that yeah, you sent me the file. Yeah, so this is what, uh, this is how it went down. We'll do it. We'll, we'll play each other. We'll play each other's parts here. Yeah. Uh, March 27th. March 27th. Okay, so actually March. Luke Daddy, I say. I don't text back until April. Oh, okay. You knew I was fucked up. Yeah. Okay. So sorry. Never mind. (laughs) April 17th, 2018. Luke says. Yeah, I said. But perhaps it was inspired by. Yeah, it was. So I sent the text. I sent the copy, the recording. Luke doesn't respond until a month later. Yeah. But he says. I want to write a book with you. Uh, I think it will both do good for anyone who reads it and provide passive stream of income that will provide a baseline of financial security so as to enable any number of other ventures. I respond. I also want no, to... discuss me. Also. Okay. I said, I also want to discuss that podcast episode. <laughs> I have a few thoughts. <laughs> I bet you do. I respond. Yo, bro. Sorry. I never look at my phone until after school. I was teaching PE at the time. I'm very flattered and totally on board with both of those. There continues to look like a minimum 50% chance I'm going to end up out there, meaning L.A., mm-hmm. after Serenza's wedding. Uh, I said, I love it, brother. Uh, I want to do it either way, but would love to have you close. And I said, are you looking at schools out here in L.A.? Uh, what's the play? I said, also, not sure what the plan is, but once we have a Oh, kid- real quick. So that was that's over 17th, 18th, 19th of April. Right, right. And then... Here's 420. 420. 420, yeah. Lucas yeah. asks... Uh, I said, also, not sure what the plan is, but once we have a kid, uh, we want to hire you as an au pair. You need to teach the kids Spanish. So you have a job in L.A. about a year from now. I say, fuck yes, exclamation point. 99% these are my final weeks in the education game, but I'd love to do something like that. I plan on just yoga slash personal training next year. I said, Yes. Uh, we think that would be perfect with a two to four day a week nanny game. We basically don't trust anyone, uh, but know how great you would be with your language and health knowledge and also experience with your niece and giant hands and coordination. Basically, Odell ain't dropping shit. <laughs> Dude, I would absolutely love that. Uh, so would we. Job is yours. Only qualification is L.A. residence. You can even be a live-in if we have the room. That was prior to y'all having this house. Before we had the house, before we had the kid. That was it. Next We didn't... I actually... We weren't pregnant at this point. No, you weren't pregnant and you didn't even have the house. Yeah. So actually, it sounds more serious than joke. Right. That sounds like legitimate, like, okay, yeah, I could do that. Yeah. I think when I started bringing it up with my girlfriend at the time and other people, the initial reaction was like, are you sure? Yeah. (laughs) And that's when it kind of became more joke. Yeah. But then as my life progressed over the last year and a half, yeah, I was like, no, actually that would work out perfectly. Yeah. And quite frankly, and I did end up, as I said, that text, I did end up my next, well, immediately after that school year ended, I just ended up vagabonding as I do in South America. But my next job, the job I just left when I came back from South America to DC was 
personal training, mm-hmm. as I stated. But as I kind of knew it would, it didn't work out. It wasn't for me. Uh, and so I made it out here. And my thinking coming out here, this isn't... I'm very much like a lost man-child, kind of stumbling my way through adulthood, trying to figure out what is what. Mm-hmm. Uh, but me taking this job isn't just out of like desperation. Mm. I don't think many... I was just having this conversation with my sister, and it was a big sticking point in my last relationship. I think the... the I understand how I live my life and I think I have an idea of how people view me from the outside especially mm-hmm. people that know me but don't really know me mm-hmm. and quite frankly I think the only people that really know me are my mom's sisters and my childhood friends mm-hmm. or even my high school and college friends who I lived with as I said it may seem like I'm just stumbling my way through adulthood but there actually is like conscious decision making and direction here yeah i'm not just taking this any job because i don't have any other options right actually i have you had a job plenty of other options and even in the nanny space i have other options as it Mm -hmm. turns out over the last couple months i'm finding Hmm. uh i honestly think well first off it's la i've always wanted to live out here Mm -hmm. just the first time i came to visit you out here and especially the last time I was out here to meet Joe for the first time right. in right. the summer. Yeah. I told you this when I, the first night I landed 36 hours ago. It's feeling, dude. I need yeah. to make my decisions based on feeling and gut. Right. right. And being here, the first time I stepped onto your property, into this house, it felt right. And quite frankly, dude... I know. I'm going to post this on Instagram eventually. Yeah. Quite frankly, dude, the being here for the 36 hours I've been back here, and I'm like, can feel myself tearing up even saying this. Mm -hmm. These past 36 hours are the first time since I was literally, that sounds like ridiculous, but the first time since I was at Machu Picchu in late February, Mm -hmm. early March of this year. That I haven't felt like I'm swimming upstream against the current of life. Huh. And then when I was here in May, yeah. for the three days, I felt that way. I felt at peace. But I knew in the back of my head, there was... And it's it's not healthy psychological thinking. But I knew there was these, these psychological, emotional battles that were still eating at me. Mm-hmm. And in my thinking, the only way to confront them was exposure therapy and swimming against the stream of life. That's the only way I knew how to solve them. Yeah. Not in a healthy way where I yeah. break them down emotionally right, and why right, am I right, feeling right. this way? It's no, go punch them in the face. Yeah. And I knew I didn't want to live in DC. I knew going back there was going to present me with a number of emotional challenges right. Right. in terms of my former romantic relationship. I knew I did not want to work at that job. Mm-hmm. I'd already personal trained and taught yoga. I knew I didn't want to do that professionally. I knew I didn't want to work for this like very bougie, high-end luxury fitness corporation. Yeah, yeah. I knew all of that. But I also knew yeah. I would never feel settled with that and wouldn't truly know it in my spirit mm-hmm. unless I right. dove into it. Yeah. And I've come back here now, dude, and this I the reason I'm here is that I honestly and I 
if I were to place a bet on my life right now, how I'm going to spend like the first half of my 40s Mm -hmm. is doing this, Mm -hmm. is being a stay at home dad. Yeah. Living in a place that is sunny year round. Yeah. (laughs) That's pretty clutch. Where there are hot chicks everywhere. Uh And where. It's a LA, once again, this is a generalization, but it's a place where people go to like be creative. Yeah. And for lack of a better term, like pursue their dreams. Yeah. Yeah. It's the exact opposite of Washington, D.C. Right. Right. And so being here doing this is a very conscious decision on my mm-hmm. part. Right. Uh, so anyway, you sent me that text on 420. Yeah. By the way, I'm a huge pothead. Yeah. Today marks, today, Tuesday marks one week of no weed. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It just all seems very serendipitous and I mm-hmm. feel in my gut and in my spirit, I'm in the right place. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I, so I had my physical yesterday, annual physical at my doctor's office. And, um, I, last time I was at the doctor, I brought Joe with me because I was here and, uh, Sue's at work and I didn't have any place for her to be. Um, and so I like, she was in the room and the doctor like saw her and she was very well behaved. I think she had just woken up from a nap. So she was um, in good mood and like compliant, didn't freak out or anything. And so my doctor asks me about her even before that. But now that he's got like a face to, to put to it. Um, and so when I was there for the physical, he like took my, all my vitals and everything and when I first started going to see him, it was right after I'd moved out here. And it was, you know, the job's demanding, but my former job was especially demanding. And, um, you know, I was pretty stressed pretty much all the time. And I, I had pretty high blood pressure. And, you know, I don't know enough about blood pressure to know what's stress, what's diet, what's exercise, what's genetics. Um, but he said at that first appointment, he's like, you have high blood pressure for who you are and like for how big you are and, um, age. Yeah. Uh, and he said, I could tell you to, you know, not be stressed, but that's a stupid request. (laughs) Cause like on top of everything else, you're just going to have some sort of like meta stress (laughs) stress about your job and then also be stressed about being stressed. And what's that, what's that to do with your blood pressure? Uh, and so he's like, honestly, um, try to take walks, like, uh, try to sleep. Uh, but you know, it's a, he's a doctor. So like he's pursued a competitive field and they work hard and go through residency and all that. And, And the first part of being really a lot of parts of being a lawyer is like that. And so he got it, but he was like, your blood pressure is too high. And so each time I go back, uh, that's something we specifically talk about and how it's doing this. It's gone down and then up a bit and then down. And, um, and this past time it was, it was good and it's been good for the last few visits. Um, but in the context of an annual physical, that's what we're explicitly talking about. And, uh, this is a very long way of saying he was like, you seem happier. Like you seem less stressed. And I was like, yeah, I've been at home. Uh, so that made a difference. I'm going back to work and he's like, Oh, how are you feeling about that? And I was like, honestly, way better than I thought I would because 
staying at home is great. It's you have hard days, and it's like any um, important job in that it's challenging, and you don't always do the right thing, and um, you know. But it's also wildly rewarding. But it's coming to a close, and like as I transition back to work, you know, I expected to be more distraught. Mm-hmm. I feel great about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's going to be good for me, uh, and I think it's going to be good for Sue and I that you're here, and I think it's going to be good for Joe that you're here, um, and I think it's going to be good for you. Like I said, I've said this a few times when I first kind of brought it up um, and every time I've brought it up since I hope I've said this I've tried to I would never have suggested specifically in the concrete once Joe is here um, apparently I brought it up (laughs) like two years ago yeah Uh, but I wouldn't have brought it up seriously and wouldn't have pursued the conversation and then wouldn't have like followed up and, and I wouldn't say pushed you, but, um, explored whether you were interested if I didn't think it'd be a good thing for you too, because like teaching, like a lot of jobs that are relationship based, if you're not happy, you're not going to do a good job. And like, you know, it'd be like having a kid in a classroom or a teacher that doesn't want to be there. Yep. It's just like, that's a recipe for disaster. I've and been so that teacher. Was, yeah, me too. And that's how I know, right? And I've seen that teacher and I've taught alongside that teacher and you've seen every version of like job burnout and like lack of interest and lack of investment. And being a, a stay-at-home parent and being a caretaker is, a lot of it is teaching, a lot of it is engagement, a lot of it is enthusiasm, positive energy. And uh, if there was any part of me that was like, Alex isn't going to like this, uh, you know, even if I was being completely selfish about like, this is all about what's best for me and my family. Mm -hmm. Fuck Alex. Uh, All I care about is me and mine. If I suspected that you wouldn't enjoy it or it wouldn't be a positive thing for you, uh, selfishly, I wouldn't pursue it. I also happen to care about you. <laughs> so like, yeah, it's a twofer. Yeah. But like, you know, if, if I, if I doubted whether or not this would be positive, I'd be setting, uh, everyone up for a negative outcome because it's like, you're not going to do a good job regardless of mm-hmm. how big your hands are, <laughs> like whether or not you're going to drop my kid. Like you got to want it and you got to want to be it and you want to be, you got to want to be good at it. Um, cause there are tough days and all that and you got to fight through those. And like, if you don't have that internal motivation and wanting to do something well, you know, the reality is you just won't. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I am happy to hear you say that. And like, you know, it's, it's more positive than I could have hoped, but I also suspected that that, that would be the case that I think it's going to be a, a good thing and a positive thing. And yeah, I'm super excited. Yeah, I'm super excited too, dude. Um, yeah, it feels it feels very right, mm-hmm. and I don't. I guess it's just a question of longevity. It's a question of whether or not I'm going to get discovered. 
got me until I become a movie star. Right. Yeah, that's right. What do you want from... What do you envision these early years of her childhood... How do you want that to go? And then, in terms of building this family, growing this family, what, yeah. is that, what does that look like? We talked about this a little bit yesterday. I think you had some oh, interesting thoughts. Oh, kids? Uh, yeah. So, let's start, let's start with Joe. Let's start with Joe. Like, what do you want for her life, I guess, is the broad yeah, question. Yeah, I, I like... You know, when I look at people in my family, or like people I know well, who are um, not successful, if, who are like well-adjusted and like good people and are happy and who are like positive forces in the lives of others. Um, and there are a bunch of different ways to do that. A lot of that to me comes from uh, like confidence and enthusiasm, like confidence in who you are and what you're about and you know, what your passions are um, confidence in your ability to, to pursue your dreams and be successful at them um, and then enthusiasm for those those passions and pursuits, but also day to day life and like you know getting up. You know when Joe was first born and she's moving around. We can see Joe on the monitor right yeah. now. She's wiggling she's, a little bit in her she's crib, shifting. She knows we're talking about her. Yeah, her ears were burning. Um, When Joe was just born, um, she, you know, kids wake up, babies wake up in the middle of the night, and it's it's hard. It's really hard. It's exhausting. Um, I actually think both Sue and I's career trained us well in that this is just one more really demanding client. <laughs> <laughs> and your prior career, because y'all both did TF, Teach for America prior. Yeah, and and you know. She's sitting up. I want to get her before she starts crying. Okay. We can pause. There we go. All right. As you were saying, what was I? I was asking just what do you want out of what do you want out of her childhood? Like, what do you want her childhood uh, to be and look like? And it sounded like the general theme was confidence and enthusiasm. Yeah. I mean, this is like my my um, thesis on life. There's a, a like a memory chip floating around somewhere. That's my um, speech, my, like best man toast at my older brother's wedding. Mm-hmm. That a memory? Oh, like an actual physical memory chip? Yeah, oh, I yeah, thought you meant just like a figurative memory chip. No, no, but maybe, maybe it's not floating around. Maybe they just have a clip. I think that they sent it. But it's my, my speech at my brother's wedding. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I love public speaking, mm-hmm. but I got super nervous for that. And so mm-hmm. I got really drunk beforehand. <laughs> That's a good idea, Luke. Yeah. I was like, oh, you know. Uh, I was drinking a lot quickly, and, you know, half of what I drank hit me mid-speech. So things probably went off the rails. I was told it went like 15 minutes. <laughs> I had, like, paced it out for six. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> but the thesis about him this is one of the things I admire most about my older brother and um, plenty of other people too it's like uh, that, that whole notion of confidence and enthusiasm and like those two things uh, when married in a personality 
are fantastic and they're unlike a lot of other personality traits um, I think they can be learned and nurtured and uh, drawn upon and um, and I hope taught because that's really comes down when it comes down to it that's what I hope for Jill um, that she's going to be confident in who she is what she's about whatever she's drawn to whatever she um, you know is excited by I want her to not be ashamed of that or, or shy away from pursuing those things mm-hmm. um, and and you know a fundamental belief in oneself is the essence of confidence and, mm-hmm. and enthusiasm really just like a, a, a an energy um a, a positivity for 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 life and for the world and you know what I was saying where we left off was that um you know Jojo well when babies are newborn they're waking up every two to four hours to eat and that's you know she's sleeping in her room and she's waking up every two to four hours um, for like you know a month and so you're never sleeping for more than two to four hours at a time you yeah and more importantly Sue right baby wakes up she wants to eat I gotta go pick her up and hand her to Sue mm-hmm. <laughs> my job's done I'm back to sleep um but, you know, I, I found, and this is, this reinforces my belief. It didn't start with this. I've always had this view. Life has reinforced this belief along the way. The most accessible example in this context of this conversation is that experience of those first few months. And even now, like, Joe will wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning, 5.30 in the morning. She's She usually sleeps till 6.15. That's like her... But, you know, sometimes it's earlier. And, like, you know, it's it can suck if you haven't been sleeping very long. Uh-huh. And if you have a lot to do that day and you know that and, you know, you hear her cry at 5.30. And the reality is that you have to get up. I don't get it. It's not a choice. It's not even with obligations like work. When I was talking about Joe as a demanding client, the reason that, that analogy breaks down is that, you know, if you have a particularly demanding client or a particularly demanding partner who's like on you about something, you feel it's unreasonable. I don't, and you, I shouldn't. I don't often, <laughs> or. Uh, I mostly don't say fuck it. Right. But you can, right? I can, I tell Sue there's this concept plausibly asleep. This is like (laughs) my ultimate shield for work. Uh, Sometimes I'm like on, I know I have to be working, we're expecting a draft to come in, or I've told someone I'm going to be up, and that's that. But otherwise... Let's say an email rolls in at 9.30 p.m. And I'm up. And I see it. I say, I'm plausibly asleep. (laughs) (laughs) I 
you know, this guy doesn't know that I'm not asleep. And, uh, you know, because I know I'm going to be up at, you know, six o'clock in the morning and I can respond to it then. And I'm just like, I'm not, I'm not going to do that now. There's no plausibly asleep when it comes to a crying infant. Right. Right. I'm not sure if she's like aware of my awareness in so much as she cries I, and she's like oh I know they hear me who knows what's going on mm-hmm. I don't think she has the concept of me just mm-hmm. yet right? Right. Like her, uh, her identity her, her sense of self but I can't just roll over or like put in headphones or whatever <laughs> but you can't, you, you, I, I suppose one could but I'm sure it is it's a, it is done. A, yeah, but it is a <clears throat> um, an order of magnitude vis-a-vis responsibility um, that you know you never I've never had to deal with, and I don't, you know I don't think you deal with that until there's a, this thing relying on you, um, and this is all to say. Jojo starts crying at 5.15 in the morning. What do I have control over? What do, what do I get to decide what's in my control? It's not whether or not I have to get my ass out of bed. That is decided. That was written. That was decided when we decided to have a child. Mm-hmm. When we decided to become parents. We signed up for, you know. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Especially in these early, early moments, uh, early months and years, and so I don't have a choice. I can't be possibly asleep. I have to get up. And so, what then is the like universe of my choice? It's my attitude about it. Mm. It's am I going to resent this small creature? <laughs> For being hungry or being scared and alone or being cold or whatever, having a maybe she, you know, has a poopy diaper. Sheer pants, yeah. Right. Um and she doesn't have words and uh doesn't understand any of that and like you know I'm up. But again, I can choose how to approach that. And I, I think, right? less so about the confidence, more so about the enthusiasm. Like, you decide how you're going to frame the world and your experiences in it. And in that moment, the only thing I can do, or the best thing I can do, and once you apprehend that as this is the best thing I can do, it becomes the only thing you can do, is get excited about getting to play with my daughter for the next three hours. Right. Because I'm not, you know, plausibly awake <laughs> until 8 a.m., right? So I can... I have morning now. With plausibly her. awake. Right. Plausibly awake, plausibly asleep. I mean, you know. Do you find yourself like... Is that a conscious thing a lot of the times where you're like, ugh, crying baby? Yeah. And you're like, all right, sure. flip the switch. I'm like that about... I mean... I have learned to be like that about just about everything. I think um, there's nothing you're naturally enthusiastic about. No, there's plenty that I'm naturally enthusiastic about, but that's not a choice. 
Right. Right. I just ha- I am enthusiastic about it. Uh, the the stuff you have to choose to be enthusiastic about, you know. I think people, and this is that disconnect, you know, how it kind of bring a full circle here. Um, people often perceive confidence and enthusiasm each as inherent or something that's kind of uh, innate. Mm-hmm. This person is confident or they are not. This person is enthusiastic or they are not. Um, and like most mental habits, uh, while there may be certain proclivities and inclinations and kind of natural tendencies within everyone to greater and lesser extents, um, there are also things that you can, uh, in small ways, choose to be. And once they are small choices that you're consistently making, those turn into habits, and then habits really are end up being who we are, right? So to the extent that I had the opportunity to learn at a relatively young age for any number of reasons that um, some things... Uh, just are and the only thing you have control over is how you're going to choose to respond to them think about them how you're going to choose to approach them Um, or some things you have to do and you can either kind of swallow your pride and self-awareness or self-consciousness and just kind of do it with a smile on your face and with energy and with you know fake it until you make it confidence um, but that's those. That's the choice, and I think once you, once you're, once you recognize that like these are choices that you can make um, between your ears, and then that are going to then be reflected out into the world, um, it's it's yeah less of a choice and more of a of course I'm mm-hmm. going to do these things. And so when I think about Josephine and uh, who I hope she becomes, and and what I, you know. Uh, the, the type of person I hope she grows up to be, um, or perhaps already is, I don't know. <laughs> if there's something that I you know, hope to teach her, or I think uh, a better goal would be hope to, sh- to show her and prove to her is that confidence and enthusiasm are choices, and that uh, these are things that she c- can be. And, and um, I think it's... I also hope she realizes it's worth being those things. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, the world's the world. Mm-hmm. And you're yourself. Did right? anyone teach you those things? Or did you come to learn those things did you, as you grew into adulthood? Were those things explicitly taught to you <clears throat> at any point? Um, I, I don't think anyone ever told me in, in a I know this thing about the world uh, here's the secret here's this insight let me tell you but plenty of people taught me right and and again in the best case scenario this is how Jojo learns mm-hmm. not by someone me somebody else sitting her down and kind of talking her through all this you reinforce the lesson that way but ultimately uh you live an example that way. Yeah, you can't only really teach those characteristics. Right. So, yeah, you have to live them and be them. But you, I think you mentioned this. The good news is those are both things that you can 
learn to be. Yeah. Yeah. And and more importantly, choose to be. Yeah. And that, that choice that it's empowering, I think. If you if you see it as a true choice. I think some people are like no, it's choice, but it's like not a free choice, or they don't feel like, you know, it's actually a choice. It's a choice that some people have, but other people don't. Confidence is a tough one. Confidence is a tough one because I mean, you it, it is a fake it to your make it skill in some ways, uh, but ultimately that's a facade, and I think will collapse. Really, true confidence like takes work. It does take take work, work to like be. Like, no, you don't have, like, a, a lot of, like, holes in your game, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's where well, true confidence comes from. Or, yeah, I think there's, like, also, like, a don't give a fuck confidence. Mm-hmm. You know, like, a don't give a fuck kind of attitude that's confident. Mm-hmm. Confidence takes work, man. Sure. I think there are two sides to it. First, it's... You got a bottle opener? Yeah. Um, first, it's... Daddy's getting turned. Thanks, bro. Um, and I think this is a helpful strategy in general if you find yourself worrying about something or um, self-conscious about something. Um, wh- what are you actually afraid of? Mm-hmm. Like, dude, it's so funny you mentioned that. If you don't mind me chiming in here. No, please. I consider myself a confident person and I consider my, and I think that's very ironic especially in the last five years because in a lot of ways I feel like my life has kind of gone off the rails in the last five years. Yeah. But, dude, I'm telling you, I I feel confident. I feel very unconfident in a lot of ways. I feel very unconfident because I don't have direction in my life. But, when I boil it down to like the core of who I am, it's kind of like what we were just talking about this in the, uh, uh, with your wife in the kitchen just now, but like, what would you do if like society collapsed? Mm-hmm. I feel totally confident in that sense. A lot of that's due to like physical characteristics and things like that but dude i'm telling you when you boil it down to its core my confidence stems from the fact that i've been to extremely low dark and desperate psychological Mm -hmm. places yeah and eventually i'm i made i have made a decision and i made this decision honestly probably in the last five to seven years and it's something I have to remind myself of regularly. And this sounds dark, but like, I have to remind myself, you're not offing yourself. Like, you're not taking yourself out of this game. Uh, you're not committing suicide. Sure. Is I've been, multiple times throughout my life, I've been to a point where that was a serious contemplation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when that's like the standard to surpass, yeah. then everything's a W. Right, right. No, I think. And there's like a very genuine confidence that comes from that. Totally. Because even when shit seems like it's hitting the fan or things are going wrong, there's this confidence like, nah, I'm good, man. Right. I'm here. I'm breathing. I'm alive. Right. Like, right. I'm going to wake up tomorrow. I right. woke up today. We're all good. Right. That's a very bizarre kind of confidence, but I'm telling you, that's where my com- where confidence stems from for me is like... Nah, dude, things are going to be all right, and you can yeah. handle this. No, that's absolutely right. I'm sure your standard for Joe is probably a little higher than that. <laughs> no, I, not necessarily. I, I think, like, perspective is important, and perspective comes from uh, struggle and, uh, like, relative comparison. Um, yeah. 
Has raising her been easier or harder than you anticipated over these first 10 months? Um, So there are... This is a cop-out answer. It has been both easier and harder. I think... Definitely cop-out. I think, yeah. So here's how, though. I I can't answer how. Um, What are you tendering over there right now? No, I don't. I see you swiping. Uh, I'm swiping through audiobooks because I was looking for a title in my library. I haven't listened to it. Uh, What's your age range on Tinder? I don't have... Like, do you go under 23? Um, when I was on Tinder... <laughs> He's going to answer the question. I think the rule <laughs> that I followed was half my age plus seven. Half age plus seven. Yeah, that's the rule everyone should follow. I can't say, salute, bro. You're looking for more? I'm choosing. Oh, Cheers. Let me. Yeah, that's the rule everyone should follow, but come on. I mean, sometimes rules are meant to be broken, dog. Um... When was the last time you were on Tinder? I was in Chicago. It was right after I started law school. So you're 25? 26? Uh, Fall of 2013. I was born in 1987. Fall. I moved out there in late August after my birthday. I was 26. Half your age plus seven twenty. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I did not. I may have matched with, but I did not uh, pursue any spend nineteen year olds with um, uh, anybody who was still in college. Actually, no. You can talk about. I'll just pause real quick, bro, and you can, and we'll talk about it off the record. And pause. Go ahead. Tell me about the eighteen-year-olds. Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> no such knowledge. I do not recall. <laughs> what are you looking at? We have a podcast to record. There's a, there's By the a way, book. y'all, this, our buddy Mike is the exact same way. Lucas is the worst multitasker, multitasker yeah. on the planet. Um, there's a book that I have in my Audible library mm-hmm. called Can't Hurt Me mm-hmm. by this guy, Dave Goggins, who is a... Dave Goggins a man. Yeah. He's the world pull-up champion. Okay. Yeah. Go on. That's all I know about him. He used to be like a... That's not all I know about him. I know a little bit about him. He used to be like severely obese. Uh, and then I think literally he just like... I don't remember the exact story, but he just came to some realization one day. I think maybe he was trying to join the military. Mm-hmm. And they're like, are you fucking kidding me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, look at yourself. And I think that was the impetus to pull himself together. But now he's just like... He was a Navy SEAL. Yeah. Yeah. Now he's Ultra just like... marathoner. Yeah, he's just a legendary physical specimen, and it's purely just, like, mind. Okay. He's the purest example of, like, you could be in the, just from a physical uh, standpoint, but I think this is applicable to all areas of life, like, you could be in the worst possible position, in his case, physically, and you can make that decision. Like, mm-hmm. no, okay, I'm pulling myself out of this right. rut. And now this guy is a world pull-up champion, runs, like, a zillion, literally, I think, like, hundreds of miles at a time. I right. think he runs for days at yeah. a time. Uh does all kinds of like insane endurance and physical feats that are yeah. purely mind over matter. Right. Like there's no genetic gift here. Right. David Goggins, yeah, yeah, he's the man. So I was distracted during that time on my phone mm-hmm. when I was not 
I was not swiping Tinder. There were no 18-year-olds involved now or previously. I'm not even sure what Tinder is. Uh, Shit, Lucas introduced me to Tinder in the summer of 2013 at his family's home outside of Portland, Oregon. First time I'd ever heard of it. Dude, no. That's a true story. That is a true story. Um, when we were talking about this, when you were talking about being in a dark place and how now, or perhaps even at the moment, the recognition of the depths that you were in was, um, simultaneously this, uh, incredible asset that you have to draw on for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And I knew enough about this guy to have downloaded this book Mm -hmm. and had like logged in my memory that this particular individual had written a book about this concept. Um, and I wanted to look up the title and then when I saw it and I was like, then I pulled up his Wikipedia and that is when you called me out. So, Oh, just now? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's what I was looking at. Yeah. David Goggs, man. Um, and yeah, yeah. I have so many fucking books that I've like, have like picked out or, or purchased or downloaded or what have you uh, and have either never started or have like read part of yes this um, entire room when I'm we're in we're in Luke's guest house now which is my new home this is fucking places filled with books before they're here where are they they're in they're under my bed the boxes they're under the bed yeah tons of books many. yeah dude take a ballpark guess at how many books I've read in my life me Guess. Me? No, no, no. I know that. I'm just saying, how can I guess how many books you've read? So we're... I, I don't mean to be a dick. <laughs> or like... Be, you can be, read? Be, uh, <laughs> be, um, it's uh, under 50 for sure. I would probably put it in the range of 20 to 30. I read my first book freshman year of college. I couldn't read, dude. This goes back to the, uh, and this is, I don't know, nothing's off topic. This goes back to the suicide thing, dude. I could not read until, yeah, freshman year of college, really. I mean, I knew how to read. Like, I knew to fucking sound out the words. <laughs> but I would have these OCD quirks, man, where I'd have yeah. to reread the words a hundred times, reread the line a hundred times, swallow saliva when there were eyes. <laughs> On every dotted lowercase i, on every period, I would have to go through like a mental ritual. I'd have to check the numbers of the pages. Dude, it would take me two hours to read a page. And it was just eventually, it would be three in the morning, and I'm in like yeah. AP US history, and I'm supposed to read like three chapters, right. and I've gotten through three pages. Right. And I was like, well, I guess I'll just be winging it on the test tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. And that didn't change until freshman year of, of college. Yeah. Um, so, dude, this is why. In a lot of ways, I think I've become so obsessed with podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, starting in 2010, when podcasts really started kind of emerging, and now they're just ubiquitous. It's funny you say that, but keep going. Because it's that's how I learned to gather information. That's how I survived academically. Right. I was a su- successful student in high school. Mm-hmm. Not nearly as successful as I should have been, but I was in honors and AP classes. Yeah. I was probably towards the lower end of that group, 
because the only thing I could do was just show up and listen. Mm-hmm. I was not gathering information any other way. Right. It was just showing up to class and hoping I fucking gather enough information yeah. via what, whatever is being discussed in class mm-hmm. that I could then, you know, regurgitate the test. Mm-hmm. And so when po- these podcasts started showing up and I could just download, you know, information on topics I'm interested in mm-hmm. and I didn't have to go through... Because even still to this day, dude, there's still little OCD things that, you know, that trip me up. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I could get information just shot straight into my ears, it was a godsend. Yeah. Um, that's why I am, you know, so on board with this medium. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, 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 there is a real democratization of information now. Um, you want long form like information journalism short form you want like tweets mm-hmm. you want podcasts you want audiobooks mm-hmm. you know you want you know in you, some ways there's new videos like DIY in some ways there's no excuse not to be informed but in other ways it's like almost even harder to be informed because there's so much information and you kind of have to sift through it all I don't you would know more about this do you think like this whole fake news concept is a real thing like what do you mean by fake news like it's very you could easy you could easily go out there and just make something up and present it in like a good looking format and put it out there on the web and people somebody's gonna believe it like are you talking about like uh like you could create lucas the lucas herald.com and you could just come with bullshit websites or or, you know articles and turn out all kinds of garbage and as long as it looked reputable you could potentially yeah, start yeah. You can you can deceive people. Yeah, propaganda is effective. Disinformation works. That's why you know it's been utilized pretty much throughout mm-hmm. like any context in which the stakes matter. The most obvious is certainly like politics and and um, and all that. But like, yeah, I it's. You think there's no excuse not to be informed? Yeah, I think there's no excuse not to be informed. I think, like, I've always thought that... By the way, this is... You asked me two seconds ago if how things are working out here in the guest house. This motherfucker is the one major flaw. Jimmy Cricket up here on the roof. I found a few of his friends and I murdered them immediately. Yeah. But he's here. Maybe if I go like this, I'll shut up. Wait, comes back two seconds later. Uh, the hope is to finish this place. We're gonna finish the garage first, depending on the timing. I'm sure. I mean, that'll be done. I'm hoping in like two months. Um, hopefully, Sue just lets me pull the trigger on it. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to convince her for like uh, a couple months. To be like, look, it's gonna cost forty grand. Let's just do it. Whoa, for real? You think that's what it's gonna cost? Uh, so I could, I could go to like say Carlos and be like, look, Carlos. Here's twenty five grand. Get this project done. You can go to like Home Depot. Dude, if you ever go twenty five grand, you would fucking pass out. Are you kidding? Yeah. So Carlos, first time I came out here, uh, we're referring to this guest house once again. It's one room. It's a bedroom. Yeah. With a bathroom, it's, it's but it's attached, attached to a garage. Yeah. Which is serving as like storage slash laundry room. Right. The plan is to keep the bedroom. And turn the garage into like an office den. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's but, cool. I yeah, fucking love gonna, it in here. Yeah, we are gonna finish this also. So this is yeah. It's like we're it seems re- redo it. 
I guess. We're going to try to keep the aesthetic, at least that's my position, is that this is a, a very charming, like, 19, mid-century, late, you know, 60s, 70s vibe. Yeah, it is. Know? It's like wood paneling. I really love it in here, man. It's a fantastic environment. When I first... I've said this, Luke, but I'll say it now uh, on the podcast. What did you do with Big Bill? Oh, uh, they're all coming down. They're over there. They're I can't have things. I can't have fucking things on the wall. Not with that attitude. <laughs> uh, Jack and uh, Bobby over here are coming down, too. I'm going to take them out already. And these fucking... Nina and the Pence and Santa Maria over here are coming down as well. Oh, dude. Uh, I can't have things on the wall, man. It's minimalism. I, it's nothing. I was going to put maybe a map of L.A. Okay. Uh, Pretty sure I have, like, a map of L.A. in my... Really? Like, drawer somewhere that you have been meeting. I might put something like that. Um, but, yeah, when I first came out here in May to visit... <clears throat> dude, I'm telling you. I came in here, and it's just a feeling. It's, like, nice and cool. There's a breeze. I can't describe it, man. I just felt at home. I slept so soundly that first dude, night. It's great out here. There's been a few like Airbnbs I've stayed at throughout my travels. One particularly in Cusco, Peru, mm-hmm. where like I just get in it, and I'm like, "Whoa, is there like a ghost in here with me yeah, or something?" Like a gas leak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You go like a high. Yeah. Yeah, uh, like that wasn't in the description, mm-hmm. um, and that's how I felt when I first came in here. And uh, yeah, I felt I really. This is all I need, man. This is all of the space I need in the world. Yeah, I know. The like honestly, I could live in the if I had a stovetop in a mini fridge, I would be totally self sufficient yeah. here. Uh, but then I would have no social interaction. <laughs> Just be here all day. Anyway, where were we? Oh, I said. Did you have something else you want to comment on? Because I remember. I. I- I had a few things. Okay, but, go ahead. Um, go ahead. Oh, real quick. So finishing this thing's gonna cost forty k. This thing? No, the uh, if the garage. We did the garage? This room? Uh, it would probably be about seventy or eighty k. Damn. We were gonna talk about Carlos though. Oh yeah, Carlos. So Carlos, Lucas referenced giving Carlos twenty five thousand dollars the first time I came out here. That same time when I felt the energy of this room. And of this, I think just city in general, um, we went to Home Depot. We were just going to do some work in the backyard. Yeah. And we were going to get ourselves an illegal immigrant to do some work. And we found Carlos. Did we even we, approach we, Carlos? We, we he approached us. He approached us. We don't ask about immigration status. <laughs> <laughs> These are independent contractors and armed flank transactions. I, you know, my understanding is that they... We love Carl. I'm all for it. Dude, I'm all for... I'm an open borders guy. I don't even like the term immigration. I think we're all human... Members of the human family, and we're sharing the same giant rock. And Mm -hmm. we should all be allowed to go to whatever part of the giant rock that we want to. Yes, I agree with you. Uh, So so Carlos is home. Yeah. Carlos is not a legal immigrant. Carlos is just a member of... He's an earthling like you and I. Yeah. Um... But he's legal immigrant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but we don't know that for sure. Yeah, and he's the man, I, though. Again, he's... I don't. Would never ask someone's immigration status. Would never ask what kind of taxes they're paying. Uh, you know, he's not an employee. He's an independent contractor, and you know, I assume he's bonded, insured, and all of that. So, 
mind your business. Like, <laughs> certainly not mine. So, uh, we yeah. found Carlos in the we, parking well, lot we, of Home we, Depot. We went to Home Depot with the intention of, um, yeah, buying some flowers services. and buying a human. And procuring the services of an independent contractor and a, you know, we got them. arm's length transaction. Uh, and, I was I was relying on you and your language skills and also your outgoing personality, uh, and, and love love of uh, love of strangers Latin America and 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 strangers to help identify somebody before I could really say all right go get them tiger. Uh, Carlos approached us and asked if we needed help planting flowers, mm-hmm. um, and I said no, but I do have some some work. We got the flowers, Carlos. Yeah. We have some That's the extent of our landscaping skills. <laughs> right, right. These are going to be fine, uh, but we do need your help. And Carlos uh, came to the house. Oh, hold on a second. Let's not fucking skip the details of the story. We Carlos hopped in the back seat. Yeah. His English is... Uh, all right. I think he thinks it's better than it is. <laughs> That's a good point. He does think it's better than it is, which oh, is so, awesome. Yeah. No, you know what? I, if I could summarize Carlos's relationship with English, it is uh, independent of his language skills. It is the quintessential exemplar of confidence and enthusiasm. There we go. Yeah. Way to tie it together, he Luke. He just goes for it. Yeah. And Sometimes it's like, mm. <laughs> smile and nod. Uh, yeah. Sometimes well, I say, uh, what? <laughs> can you can you spell it? Like, um, he's super outgoing, man. Oh man, he's, it's I love the guy, man. He's such an inspiration to me. To be born, he's from El Salvador. To be born in this tiny patch of dirt. Uh, with very little opportunity in El Salvador, I don't know. He he's he's been in the U.S. for a while now, but like uh, I'm sure El Salvador wasn't great when he was growing up there, and it certainly isn't great now. And the dude, I clearly had the balls just to come up here. However, he got up here, and uh, dude, just come to a country like this and to be what I'm almost certain is you know illegal and you know potentially on the verge. Although in L.A. probably not, but you know theoretically on the verge of deportation at, at you know any day. The dude is just like has a great attitude and is very enthusiastic and very outgoing and I don't know man he's you know he's more American than the two of us yeah uh, <laughs> but American I love that he, choice yeah yeah and he um he hopped in that back seat that first day and with his you know outgoing personality immediately started like striking up conversation I think I was. I would talk to him in Spanish. He would respond to me in Spanish. But then I think he also wanted to show that like he can speak English too, mm-hmm. which he can. Uh, probably not as good as he thinks, but he, you know, he can put sentences together. But he immediately starts going off on how nine eleven was an inside job. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Whoa, Carlos!" Like I don't know. I, was, I don't even know how he got on the topic. I guess I was just probably asking him like how what he thought about America and like what yeah. his experience has been. Maybe like you know, yeah. he's been here for I think over twenty years. Oh, uh, he's been here for like 40. Because oh, he came here as a teenager, right? Oh, for real? Yeah, sure he's, he's in like his 50s. Yeah, yeah, for sure he's in his 50s. Uh, we got on that and I was like, hell yes! <laughs> we got this. Like, I'm glad we got this guy. Yeah, oh my god. <laughs> um, but he's so... Uh, 
do you think he has the skills to do this? This? No. That's But that's the thing. Is like, I would want... I don't want him to do it. Right. I want him to use what he knows about this particular labor market uh-huh. to identify folks with the skills to do uh, it, to buy the raw materials. Middleman. Yeah. To basically be like, look, uh, I could go out there, but these guys immediately are going to look at me and be like, right. Not, yeah. not take advantage of me, but, yeah. but you know, there's They'll some take advantage disconnect. <laughs> well, who's taking advantage of who? Yeah. But. Yeah. Good point. But. Uh, there's something called the gringo tax, bro. And you and find it yeah, anytime you travel in Latin America. I pay it every time he comes over here, and I'm happy to pay it because right. dude fucking earns it. Yeah, he busts his ass. Yeah, um, but yeah, I would much ra- rather than paying like this general contractor we have or have used, who like I'm pretty sure isn't legit either. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just be real. We have we have. Is our... that the dude that did your kitchen? Yeah, kitchen looks great. Yeah, dude, he's. Uh, if I could describe this dude. He's Israeli, Javier Bardem. Oh, damn. Dude, he's really? like... Really? Yeah, I found myself attracted to him. Don't lose sleep like, sewer out of him. Dude, I didn't. Like, <laughs> seriously, I didn't. Until I was, uh, like, until she was eight months pregnant. And it's like, yeah, you know, he's not now. And I was like, all right, yeah. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. And then, uh, so for the longest time, I would be like, I, I talked to Ariel today. Like he's, you know, he's well. And Sue's like, "Why do you keep going on about this guy?" And then she, finally, I'm not gay. We talk about. And she finally met him, and was like, "Ariel's great. <laughs> Ariel's great." And uh, and and he also said, "He's like, um, he's like, oh, you know." Stay away from me, like, any time. Stay away from well, me? Well, were you saying this to I cannot Sue, control myself. No, what you saying was, like, uh, my, basically, like, every time I stand, he's like, whatever the water you're drinking, like, I don't want any, because Sue's pregnant, like, very pregnant, and he has six kids, and, like, going on ten. <laughs> he's like, any time, oh, what he said was, don't. I don't want my wife to meet you because anytime she stands next to a pregnant woman, she gets pregnant. <laughs> I was like, that's how potent this guy is. Ariel, that's a little bit of projection, bro. Like, <laughs> you bear a little bit more responsibility than the red gun. But he literally this is Israeli happy up right down. He's right. like the most. Anyway. Have you seen his wife? No. I want to see his but, wife. Oh, uh, well. Anyway, <laughs> you'll, you'll see him because he's going to come by the house probably. Oh, really? Yeah, we got to do. So, uh, he is excellent. He's a good team. Does really good work. You know, it's not Carlos Price's. But right. Like, <laughs> you know, it's also not like, right. you know. And so, he uh, he's great. And, and he did a great job. And like he, but he's like setting up these inspections with the city. Yeah. And when I, I told uh, my general contractor, hey, by the way, the electricians got um, some city inspectors coming by. They need to sign off the electrical work before you guys close up the walls. He, like, freaked out. He's like, oh, uh, what? when are they coming? Are they like, 
city government uh, ice. And he's like, can you can you tell him to tell them that like I've set up separate inspections and like and uh, he did not want any. Well, I I don't know how much he's interfacing with the city or right. like, what he's getting inspected or what he has to and. Once again, these are independent contractors. <laughs> I, you know, what do I know about construction? I don't. I don't ask a lot of questions. Mind your business. Like, it's not, I'm just looking to beautify my home here. Look, man. I mean, you know, these were introductions. <laughs> um. So. So all of this is to say. Uh. I would much rather... There's obviously... Anytime any work is getting done, someone's making money off it, right? There's a surplus. Buy something for a dollar and sell it for two. uh, If you put in whatever your labor, your special touch. Um, And the way in which this whole industry works is like... There are pretty healthy margins on certain types of things. and, and, But if you have like, you know, the know-how and a little bit of like work ethic you can get a lot done real quickly for cheap Mm -hmm. so what I would do is basically say to Carlos Carlos I'm going to spend $25 doing this thing I'm going to give it to that guy or if you think like you can get it done for cheaper and like find the right guys or know the right guys I'm gonna write you a check for twenty four grand. Finder's fee. He's my general contractor. <laughs> yeah. You know, you get this work done, get it done at a high level. Mm-hmm. The electrical is gonna be inspected. The uh, gas and plumbing. I'm gonna like anything that could Did- kill anyone. <laughs> so all that has to be expected by the city. This is where like my whole libertarian anarcho capitalist like f- philosophy kind of falls apart. Because that's, that's all government, right? I mean, it, it should be, the if you're having electrical work done in your house, the government, if you're doing shit totally by the book, someone from the city should come in and check it out. That's mm-hmm. how it's supposed to be done. Probably. To make sure you're it's not all faulty and you're not going to burn down the neighborhood. Yeah, burn down like a lot more than that. Down here, everything's so dry. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and look, there was a fire, was it last year, that killed like 86 people? There's a fire here every year, it seems like. Yeah, but it was the deadliest fire in, like, wildfire in U.S. history. I thought that was up north. That was here? It was California. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The um, campfire? Yeah, that sounds right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, like, I, 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 I on the one hand, like, absolutely agree with that and like think I want I want the inspectors because you know the first people are going to die in that fire is me <laughs> <laughs> my family right? you know or let's be real it's you back here right yes. so <laughs> fucking smoke <laughs> alarms yeah. like hanging off the fucking wall yeah right we're not even pretending <laughs> um and so like that shit I want to get done by the book but when right. it comes to like throwing insulation in and like throwing up drywall yeah Whatever. Let Carlson and his boys take care of it. Right. Right. And so, um, yeah. That's mm. my, my thinking on that. Yeah. So. How do y'all do finances? Do y'all just have all your money pulled into one fucking thing and this is just like our bank? It's a mess. Yeah. So it's like we... It's a mess. Y'all make relatively the same money? Yeah. Well, okay. So, I actually don't know what I make. 
I haven't known for well. What? <laughs> so the when when I when I was when I accepted my job out of law school. This is all like public information, so I'm not like trying to, you know, big time anybody. But like, your salary's public information. Everyone's anybody in big law is public information. Uh-huh. If you're in this industry that pays lockstep everywhere. It's kind of this. I mean, so law generally is a cartel, like a definitional cartel, in that it's the foxes guarding the hen house. The people who say who can become a lawyer are the lawyers. Uh-huh. And so it's in lawyers' interests that it's hard to become a lawyer. And not anybody... If you tried to practice law, I could teach you everything I know and then some. You're a savant. Give you all my textbooks. I'm a natural. Give you access to all, all the resources that I have. You're practicing law at like the you know top 5%. Because there are a lot of shitty lawyers out there, to be honest mm. with you. Um, you're going to jail. Well, you're not going to jail. You're going to be fine. You're, you're like, you can't, you know, you can't practice law if you're not a licensed attorney. To be a licensed attorney, you got to be a member of the bar. To be a member of the bar, you got to pass these tests. To sit for the tests, you got to do these things. California is actually one of the only states that allows people who didn't go to an accredited law school to sit for the bar and become a lawyer. Catch me if you can shit. Well, no. That was... He He lied about having gone to law school. Uh-huh. Your salary is public information. I'm going to look it up online because <laughs> that's how it works. You about to reveal your salary on the podcast? It's, it's online. Dope! Yeah, if you Googled Lucas Artai salary... If you Google big law salary. So really, it's like, if you work for one of these major firms, everyone's making the same money based on your position? I Googled big law salary. Uh-huh. I'm going to the website. But you made more than that number. Well, that number. Oh, the, this is based on experience? Mm-hmm. It's based on when you graduated law school. Wow. So this just is like standard. Everywhere. Well, not everywhere. There is a tier... Or a cabal, depending on your <laughs> There is a collection of law firms, big law, that pay what we call market. So you can find, anybody can find, what I, what we make. 16? You guys 16? Mm-hmm. And what our bonus is. And she's the same? She's 2014. But yes. She's, she's big law. Yes. She makes more than you then. So what I was going to say is, you said y'all make about the same. And I was about to say, yes, we do. But we don't. What What do I make on there? You make 220 plus 25. 245. Uh, it's actually 50. Bonus? Yeah, so I'm, I'm third year bonus. It's 270. Yeah. Your third year bonus. Got you. Okay. So um, she's fifth year bonus. So Sue is 2014. So what does she make? 280. Okay. So that is, and I made 220. 60 grand more than I do. So the delta between what she makes and what I make is double what I made when I was teaching. 
Wow. Yeah. Right? Wow. Okay. So yeah. That's how much more she makes than I do. <laughs> On a salary basis. And her bonus is... 80. Whoa. 80. So she makes $90,000 more than I do a year. But <laughs> when you said, you guys make the same. I, my response was yeah, basically, right? Like my it my the but the difference between the is right, was is, all of the money we made in all of our years teaching. Correct, right? <laughs> so like this is that is a microcosm of our attitude towards money around like does this money all go to the same place? Like how does it? Right. I don't really know like, <laughs> where all of her money goes. Right. My money goes, I put eight grand in a shared account that we have, and then whatever else I have, which I think is like another four, goes into like my account, but all of like my credit cards and everything come out of that account rather than our shared account, whereas all her credit cards I think come out of the shared account. But all of my credit cards include, like, the Amazon card, the Southwest card, like, cards that we share, uh, as well as things like car payment. Well, at this point, just that one car payment. But other things like car insurance, right? She pays for health insurance. We're on her health insurance at work, so that's where that goes. But, uh, yeah, I pay for, like, all of our utilities and... um, I, I don't know where the money goes. Right. It goes into a number of accounts, all of which have, you know, this is, I feel like a dick because I know. No, it's great. This is the opposite of being a dick. Why? Well, being I, a dick is being like, I don't know, bro. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I make good money, man. That's being a dick. Yeah. Not being a dick is like, no, dude, this is what I make. So that's what. And we, you work your ass off yeah. for it. These guys are working yeah. fucking constantly. But these guys, I mean, Sue, I mean, Luke and his wife, Sue. Yeah. Um, they deserve the money they make. Do you ever, like, dude, I'm, this is back to OCD shit, like, you know, I have, like, literally $500 to my name. So at the end of every month. You got more, you just, you have, it's not in your account, but you've, you know. If I was responsible, I would have gone to the bank by now. Whatever. Yeah. Look at him and his wife pouring in over 300k a year. They don't even fucking pay me out here. Each. Bullshit. Each. Yeah, it's a joke. <laughs> it's, it's a joke. I'm over here fucking slaving night and day for nothing. Um, dude, at the end of every month, I will go through and look at every single purchase I have made. Dude. I'm assuming you do not do that. No. So there really For could be... a bunch be, of different reasons, but no. I could be, like, have... So there could be, like... I could have access to your account and be in, like... You know, buying shit on Amazon. And you would have no idea. Like, you just gave me your credit card. Right? I, mean, I, I could link that... I, I could put that on my... I could put that on my Amazon account and just buy all of the shit I want. I could go out to bars. I don't spend that much money. And you would never know. Well, I would eventually, like I said, I would figure it out. But no, I, you never review your accounts. I periodically do. Oh, okay. Every once in a while, I have like, I'll get online and be like, I thought I had a little more money there. <laughs> in that account, and then I'll I'll be like, I'll pull up all the transactions or whatever, and I'll be like, yeah, yeah, huh? 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I do. Oh, Me oh, too. Okay, all right. Well, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, I do the same I guess thing. This is where I'm at. It's just, you know, different scales. I'm like, $300? I thought I had $500. <clears throat> what are you looking at now, fucker? Pay me later, bro. Pay me by fucking being attentive. <clears throat> what I was going to say about everything, about, like, the paychecks or... So we have, like, a, a number of accounts. It, it's the kind of thing where it's, like... Money, to me, there's always been such a disconnect between money when I was little and it was, like this was a kind of penny pinching whatever there was no like transition from like having no money to like having big money that's true yeah you went from being raised relatively poor yeah to college to making $30,000 a year right with to going with student loans and education payments and I bought a car which was a dumb decision when I started TFA like you know I didn't have any money I never had any money and then... All of a sudden, you graduate law school and you're making money. Yeah. And I, you know... Yeah. <clears throat> Way more money than, you know, I, I ever thought. I have no idea. So yeah, you're like a fucking... You're like uh, an NBA player in the late 90s right now who just got drafted out of high school. You have so many fur coats, it's ridiculous, dude. You live in L.A. I don't know why you have all these mink coats. Yeah. And the Rolls Royce you just got uh, seems a little ostentatious. Yeah. Well, Sue drives a Prius. I know. And you just bought me a a, a Hyundai. 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 Yeah, I don't know. Um. Hyundai. Uh, Hyundai. Hyundai. Yeah. Hyundai. 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 When H-Y. the Y. Hyundai. Hyundai. I think. I don't know. Um. You said you never answered the, what was easy and hard about what was easier and harder than you anticipated about raising Joe. Um, what's been easier? It's what's been harder? Way easier. So it kind of comes back to like the I I knew it would be tedious. Like you know, I know now. Yeah. Like a, uh, you're not having conversation. <laughs> you know, like she. It was yeah, we don't do a lot of talking. It's so funny. There's so many times when it's like, I'll be like lying on the couch, like trying to, you know, get cut up on the news or write an email or something while she's playing, and then she like comes over, and I feel bad because like I'm clearly on my phone and she's mm-hmm. like what's he doing? Like, yeah, I feel like, Daddy? Yeah. Um, and yeah. And I'll like start to play with her and I'll like grab a blanket put it over my head. <laughs> and then like pull it off. I'll, I'll like while it's over my head I'll be like where's Jojo? Like where'd she go? Yeah. And then pull it off and be like there she is there's Jojo and Jojo laughs. Right. And it's like the best. Right. And she like grabs the blanket and like goes, yeah. like just pushes it 
into my face. Right. Like, she wants me to do it again. Right. And I'm like, oh my god. This is amazing. <laughs> like, I just, like, did this peekaboo thing. Right. And she loved it. Right. And she wants me to do it again. And this is like, you know, this is awesome. Uh-huh. Because I felt like a moment ago I was being bad parent. Uh-huh. I wasn't engaged. And now I, you know, did the first thing that came to my mind and she loves it and she wants, you know, she wants to engage with me this way. Well, <laughs> she wants to play peekaboo all fucking afternoon, man. Yes. 25 minutes later, she is still laughing at, where's Jojo? There's Jojo! <laughs> the same laugh and she's the... the <laughs> and it's just like, all right, this is, I'll do it again. <laughs> I feel like, you know, a director who's not giving enough, like, instruction. It's like, no, 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 that wasn't it. Again. <laughs> and I'm like, take 27. And I'm like, what? I'm not really sure. If I have anything else. Right. This is... <laughs> Yeah. Like I'm doing the same thing, and then here. like at some point she just moves on, right? And yeah. like laughs, <laughs> yeah. And then she like crawls away, right? And I was like, oh, <laughs> all right, that's cool. It's a relief, but, but then you also kind of feel bad. Right. Like, uh, am I not funny anymore? Right. Seriously, what we were talking about earlier though about the remodel, I think that's how we started talking about money. Yeah. Um. And it's interesting, earlier we were talking about JoJo is just a more demanding client, except, like, I'm never plausibly asleep. Yeah. Or, yeah. like, you know, I can't pretend I'm not plausibly, or, like, you know. Uh, and how, it's also true that, like, TFA is harder than my job now. For sure. It's not close. Um, and I get paid... Seven times as much? Yeah. Six or seven times right. as much? And because... Oh, shit. More than that. Fuck. What am I talking about? My math is garbage. Ten times as much. No. Almost. Sue does. Yeah. Sue does, yeah. Sue. I mean, what? you're just yeah. two years behind her. Yeah. Yeah, a lot. Granted, take home is different tax prep, but yeah. I mean, you got tax in Phoenix, and you got tax teaching too. Not yeah, as much, but different. yeah. But wait, hold on real quick. That thing only the 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 pay scale you just showed me stopped at 2010. Does it keep going up? Uh, so there's a point in being a lawyer where you either become partner. Or they force you out, or you step into a role that isn't really an associate anymore You're of counsel, and it's different. You go up, but not the same pace. Um, not the same pace number-wise, financially? Well, I don't know. I don't know if I'm like an absolute dollar amount raised per year versus a percent. You've made it very clear you have no idea how much money you're making. Dude, I don't know. It's so here's what I was going to say, though. Do you invest in... Sorry, go ahead. I have so many questions. What I was going to say is... Um, this this sounds whatever. Like, I'm 
I don't appreciate. But like, you know, I know what it is in general, and I also know what it is to people who don't have as much, because I, you know, that was my life, and so I don't, but like, to me, and to us, like, what, what is money? Like, when I think about redoing the garage, so we have an office, or more living space, for Jojo, playroom for Jojo, think about redoing this place, so it's like a better living space, isn't that what money's for? Yeah. Like, and so when someone's, when I hear like, oh, it's 70,000 or I get Carlos to do it for 30 or, you know, I hire like some more reputable construction firm to do it at like the high end for like 90, like, you know, we've, we have enough. We have more than enough. We've, we've had more than enough for a while now. And maybe that's short-sighted. Maybe that's like, I have an opportunity to like retire at 45 or invest in this or that or like take care of other members of my family and like you know I I don't mean to say that like I don't see that being flippant about budgeting or money is uh, perhaps short-sighted but uh, you know there's this trade-off we talked about this when we were talking about money when I was growing up there's this trade-off between stress uh, and and um penny pinching and all that and like maybe spending more money or perhaps wasting more money and but also not worrying and not fussing over those details and I think you have this this spectrum of like being by the book or straight laced or not giving a fuck and like there's a trade off maybe I come off as this or that but I'm happier because I don't give a shit and I think you know this is these are all the clothes you own. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And like, you know, some people might like that. points to four t shirts. Yeah. I'm pretty sure all the pants on that shelf belong to me. <laughs> um and like Yeah, but you get those back. Right. And like there's this uh there's the trade off between like worry. And happiness, but but on the other hand, like doing things a certain way that is either socially acceptable or by the book or most efficient or whatever it is, there are these these spectrums and trade offs and things that like you know the fuck am I gonna do? Yeah. Like trying to find a better deal on mm-hmm. we need the space, like it it's mm-hmm. you know whatever. Mm-hmm. I I mean shit, dude. I don't I don't fucking know. What, I don't think it's right or wrong, but I love your perspective on it. And I don't. I personally, I don't think it comes off as I don't. Whatever you're concerned about, however it's coming off, I think it comes off as exactly how someone should view it. Money. You you work hard. You're being compensated for how hard you work, and you're able to support your family that way. And you're not the most important point you make, dude. Is like. It is, an inv- and you know this, and I know this based on our upbringing, it's invaluable not to worry about it. Yeah. It is in-fucking-valuable. Yeah. You only have so many fucks in life. Yeah. What are you going to spend them on? So, um, yeah. And that's, that's how I think about all of it. And like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I have no, I have no idea. 
every once in a while, I'll be like, did we close that account? Or like, did we, and I'll like log in, and I'll, you know, find, it's like, it's not like finding 20 bucks. This is real money that I know right. that can like help, like, you know. Right. It's a handful of accounts that I haven't thought about or like, you know, that, whether it's like a CD or like um, Muni Bonds or something, it's like, do you, I feel like I'm more of a squirrel than like a, <laughs> you know, financial manager. Dude, you, <laughs> fucking hiding. See, it's funny. I love your approach to it, but if I were in your position, it is not my approach I would take at all. Because I'm so fucking OCD about all, right. like, everything. Right. I would know every, like, where everything is. Yeah. Do you have, like, inv- do you ever, do you invest on your own at all? Uh, so we have a few, we have a number of, like, investment accounts or 401k accounts. A obviously. number of them? Yeah. Like, I assume we have a 401k through work? Mm, we each do. Uh-huh. We have a bunch of tax-advantaged, like, accounts that are, like, uh... HSA, FSA, like, uh, childcare, it's all, like, money that you can put tax-free into certain accounts and then draw on for specific purposes. We have a... uh, How did this happen so fast? I mean, like, we... You know, what are you gonna... So, what did we say? Who do we make like now? I want to say it's like six fifty between us, maybe. Yeah. Well, I used to live on thirty five. <laughs> yeah, thirty two okay. was my first contract in TFA. Or all right, so let's say it's thirty thirty five. Call six times that. 200. Then there's another $450,000. <laughs> right? So, like, we pay a lot of taxes, and, like, in the bracket yeah. that we're in, it's, you live it's, in California a, lot, too. it's a higher percentage than we're paying, and it's yep. not really like that, but it's, I mean, it's kind of like that. It's the kind of thing where every month... I know. I'm not talking about the the quantity of just. I'm not talking about the aggregate number. I'm talking about all these little accounts. Are these just like automatic things that just happen through work? So it's like work through work. Sign up for benefits. We'll we'll see like a certain uh, like a bank will be advertising a certain rate for a certain type of account. We'll open up a savings account here or there, or you know, gotcha. just move money around. Gotcha. But it's like you know, if you had how much stuff you got offshore, like how much stuff you got in the Caymans. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Uh, we have a, you know, chunk of money in, uh, in like, Bitcoin. Why are you winking at me? In Bitcoin. <laughs> uh, and, and... You do have money in Bitcoin? Yeah. Tight. When did uh, you do that? Uh, one year, uh, it was, like, right before one of the big crashes, Oh, good, good. It was like when it was on its way down. So, you know, right now I think we're about break even. Uh-huh. But um, I've I've basically promised myself we're not going to even think about it until like 2022. How much Bitcoin are we talking about? Dollar. Like, what did you invest? Tens of thousands? Thousands? 
Not tens, but ten-ish, okay. maybe more. I don't know. Crazy. Um, but, okay, so look, if I just, if I handed you, say, $22,000 uh-huh. on cocaine on January 1, uh-huh. you would spend quite a bit of it. You'd buy certain things. You you could you in general not yeah yeah me. okay so a person could yeah. like spend it on things they think of things to buy they might buy a new computer or even like a car or something whatever and then the next month I gave you another twenty two and then the next month the next month the next month like yeah, yeah you can spend money and like it's easy to spend money and uh, we find occasion to do that and, you know you go out to eat a few times for a couple hundred bucks a pop and like you know it adds up but like at the end of the day there's an inflow of cash that like yeah and quite frankly y'all don't I mean don't. I don't know if y'all have like gold bars sitting around here or something no, but no. like y'all don't spend money you drive a fucking piece of shit car it's 2002 <laughs> Dude, Luke picked me up from the well, from the bus station uh, when I came in May. I was like astonished because I know the kind of money Luke makes. I know the firm he works for. Yeah, he just piece of shit to side. The thing barely fucking made it from downtown LA back to oh his my house. God. It's, it's <laughs> and his wife drives a Prius. Uh, and I mean, granted, they they have a nice house. I love their home, but it's not a big home. Thousand square feet. Thousand square feet. I don't know what that means, but yeah, it's not a big home. Uh, it's a two-bedroom home. They're gonna need to get another home with, when this family starts growing. Uh, and they don't, yeah, they don't have expensive taste. They don't go out. You, you know, they stay at home with you their baby. Remember the apartment that we lived in? That me, Kanger, Daddy, and uh, Chris lived in. In the pavilions. Yeah, yeah. That was fourteen hundred square feet. Oh wow. Yeah. So the house is significantly smaller than that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So just money's just adding up, kind of, at this point. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah, and we we do invest some and we should invest more but yeah uh but again it's like we plan to stay in these jobs for a while and so what are you gonna do a little more cash yeah how long do you put on staying in this job we can wrap this up because we're going on like fucking over three hours of podcasting at this point and we're gonna have a lot more podcasts to go in the future Oh, oh i get it from before plus this is an hour 20 just now and we had an hour 40 from before mm. so I feel like a sucker for saying this uh, you know for a while I had no loyalty and I think our generation generally has no loyalty to like jobs corporate entities because we I think are pretty like aware that like this is uh this for that mm-hmm. like yeah. you know yeah well, you know, we they, see would, the they would they would fire you yeah. tomorrow if like they could replace you for something cheaper or yeah exactly um so I went into this job with a certain you know distance from my coworkers and certainly from my what do you mean like reticence like I'm not gonna get close to people because I'm leaving soon no no just more like this is a job got you I make you know 
I'm getting a paycheck every two weeks. This is actually my argument to people who have since left to stay. It's like, look, uh, you could leave or you could do this for another two weeks. And at the end of that time... (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point, man. (laughs) At the end of that time, I'll give you... Yeah. You know... What? Ten thousand dollars? <laughs> I don't I actually don't know. What, I'm making a week, yeah. two weeks. Um, I think it's maybe that. I think it's yeah. ten thousand dollars. Uh, and, but the second that deal becomes unattractive. It's a little more than ten thousand dollars. So it's like you stick around right, two, I get, yeah. two more weeks, I'll give you ten grand. So that was my attitude going in. Mm-hmm. It's like and this is was my attitude for a while. It's like you know, this job sucks, my boss, whatever, every once in a while, it's great. But job's a job. You're doing it for a paycheck. Never lose sight of that, right? And in a lot of jobs, you know, my first job I got, I was working at Target for five seventy five an hour. Five seventy five. Yep. Yeah. What? Yeah. In Oregon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe what the Democrats five, on was, that one? Maybe it was five ninety five. Was not six dollars. That's crazy. Um, I mean, this is two thousand five. I think. Yeah, dude. I mean, dude, I was yeah, I worked in two thousand three, yeah. but I was making more five seventy five. My first job was pretty sure it was minimum wage. My first job I was twelve, and I refereed games for twenty bucks a game. That's when I was twelve. My first real job, steady, was a busboy. Nice, bro. And I was getting tips. I was probably pulling in ten an hour. Mm-hmm. And then my next job after that in high school was at a deli, and I think I was making seven fifty. Five seventy five. I don't think so, man. Alright, let me check. I think you're making seven fifteen. The state minimum wage was seven twenty five. That's what you're making. I guess. I thought I was making five ninety five. That's like stuck in my head for some reason. Regardless. So he's making seven twenty five an hour. Yeah, that's what you were bringing home. You you were probably the type of fifteen year old to run the taxes. Mm-hmm. You were probably the type of 15-year-old kid to, like, run the, what you were being taxed and, like, have that number in your head instead. I ended up getting it all back. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but, yes, yeah, it was probably, I'm almost certain that's what I was thinking about. (laughs) How much am I taking home each paycheck, not, like, what is the nominal. Um, but... Like, my introduction to work, and I, you know, I've had other jobs, whereas I was making, I worked construction job, whereas I think I was making uh, 10 bucks an hour, but it's under the table. So I was taking it all home, and then all that. But I, I've always, you know, opportunity cost of your time, like, what's the next best thing I could be doing? Uh, I'm getting X dollars for this when is it going to be 
less than useful. So approach the job that way in the beginning. Your current job. Not my current job, but, but my this career. Okay, gotcha. Because you know you're told in law school it sucks. And you have to work hard. What are you told sucks? Big law. Oh, okay. Like we're in a big law firm. Shitty hours, like demanding whatever. Um, and... Real quick, what does that term big law mean? It means you're representing big companies? Big law is... A type of legal job where you work for a big firm. Now, big firms tend to represent or do represent big companies. But big law is just like, you know, you work for this system where you come into law school, you can get a come out of certain law schools, you can get a spot at any number of firms that all pay the same, that more or less have the same kind of like shitty existence where you're you know, certainly in the beginning, like you're doing repetitive, uninteresting work uh, where you're kind of interchangeable, you're not really learning legal skills, you're more learning how to exist or whatever in this particular context and um, where your your life is kept track of or, or tracked in um, six minute increments what so one tenth of an hour oh I got you billable hours right and so I'm I bill out at a certain rate so if I work for an hour for if I work on a particular project, I record that, and then that you know is aggregated with all the other work that all the other lawyers do. The hours are multiplied by our particular rates, so I have a rate. What one hour of my time is worth, or rather, what one hour of my time is charged to a client, and then uh, yeah, that's how the firm makes money. Big law makes it sound like it's like the Walmart of law, or maybe the Apple of law, um, but it's, but in terms of who they're recruiting to work, is it, I mean, obviously you went to a very prestigious law school and you were successful and your wife as well. Is big law only select the, the top getting, of the class? Getting into big law, you can get into big law from a certain group of schools. So if you go to... Harvard, you can go into big law, basically in any city, provided like... Even if you finish last year class at Harvard? Uh, yeah. If, well, yeah. Yeah, actually. Definitely. It's, uh, at that point, it's, are you personable? Gotcha. Because... So if you get into Harvard Law... And you, you can, can interview. Dick off. If I can yeah, get into Harvard Law... If you get into, like, Duke... Law, right? If you get, I think they have a law school. Top ten law school. Yeah, top twenty law school, depending on what region you want to work in, right? So, like, you go to Harvard, you go anywhere in the country, right? You go to Texas, right? UT Austin. You want to work in Texas? You're fucking golden. Mm -hmm. Um, 
getting a job, and, and you can also, almost anybody can work in New York if you're like from a top 20 school, probably. Just because there's so much law? Yeah, it's it's a it's a bit of a meat grinder. Um, high turnover. This is speaking generally. Yeah. Firms are different, but, right. yeah. Um, but if you go to, say... Don't you University say it, bro. Of Oregon. Don't you say it. That's going to say ASU. University of Oregon. ASU is actually a pretty good law school. Oh, for real? Top 30. I think low 20s. 22, maybe. Um, maybe high teens. Sandra J. O'Connor School of Law. Yeah. The best. She went to Stanford, but whatever. <laughs> we wrap her anyway. But she has a house in Arizona, so. <laughs> she was in Phoenix once. Yeah. University of Oregon, not a great law school? Uh, no. I mean, it's all relative, but yeah. no. Um, maybe the, the top 10, maybe top 15 students, well, could get, you know, big law jobs. Standard state law school, X. <clears throat> you have to be at the top of your class to get into big law. Yeah, well, the other thing is, like, Portland doesn't have a lot of big law. And, like, if you're going out of state, it's like, first of all, if you're if you're at U of O for law school, you're presumably from the state. Like, your public institution, you're probably trying to get in state tuition, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and also, like, why would you go to Eugene? I'm sure it has uh, certain... I'm not trying to shit on U of O here. Just yeah. easy example. Um, but, like, let's say you're trying to get a job at, like, in... Denver, like yeah. there's a lot of people trying to get a job in Denver, uh-huh. right? It's all the like uh, UC Boulder, like UC Denver. I, I don't know how many law schools are out there, um, but it's like you know, there's only so many slots each year, and these firms are only so big, and uh, yeah. So nationwide, there's X number of slots, and you can get them just about anywhere. Uh, if you go to certain schools and you can get them regionally if you go to other schools <clears throat> if you don't go to those schools and you go to certain you gotta be like top of your class whatever um, but that's the system and let's say you like strike out you don't get one of these jobs because the, the, the way that hiring goes, typically it's seasonal. There are spots that open up yearly, and there's a law school-related recruiting cycle, and, but there's also a, a kind of fiscal calendar recruiting cycle that has to do with people wanting to like make sure they earn their bonus, because bonuses are paid out at the end of the year in a lump sum. It's not sprinkled throughout. So it's like, if it's November, and I've now I've earned my bonus... It's like, I could walk now, or I could wait two months and, like, get a $80,000 bonus and then walk. If oh, well, if you walk in November, you don't get, like, a prorated bonus? Oh, you shit. can maybe negotiate that, but why would they give it to you? Mm-hmm. Right? Unless you're going to, if you're going to another firm that really wants you, and you're like, hey, I'd love to join you, but I'm, I'd rather join in February. So, for instance, Sue was talking to us about this trial she's potentially going to in January, mm-hmm. and she was saying, I think some integral member of the team 
is walking away in January, that's because she's waiting to get her bonus. Uh, no. Oh. Their bonuses, I think, get paid out in February at that particular firm. Whoa. What's the chick doing? Uh, it's not entirely clear. Okay. So she's got a good in-house gig, but it's not so good that she should walk away from her bonus because it's like a hundred grand at her level of seniority. Right. Let's see. I mean, it's a lot of fucking money. Yeah. So what you say is, look, there's a hundred thousand dollars on the table for me between the difference between starting like January 15 and February 15. I'm going to start February 15 unless you want to give me a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. And I, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know anything about it, but from what I understand, she's like, gonna leave early without the check, so. Oh, that's something you guys have talked about? Soon I talk about it, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, anyway, let's say you don't get this job first year. You don't get this job, like, on the calendar. You're like, oh, next year. No. Next year... There are going to be, I don't know how many kids go to law school in the country. It's a lot. Probably too many, right? Yeah. Is yeah. there like a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a yeah. surplus? Well, it depends on what you think about. Yeah. I think so, but, but again, like, that all depends on, like, how much debt people are taking on. Like, doesn't make sense to go to law school, take on $200,000 of debt. And then, like, not be employed. <laughs> yeah. Or at least not be able to do, like, work that requires a JD. Um, anyway. But if you missed the train, the very next year, there's a whole new mm-hmm. batch of top five students out of these schools and top 20 students out of these schools and, like, Harvard grads and, like, and what, you're a year removed what he's been doing. You're not probably doing worse shit. Yeah. Yeah. So like that, well, you, you definitely do get a job. It's just not necessarily that. It's right. not necessarily, you know, a lot of, a lot of law schools actually offer employment to recent law grads to boost their employment numbers. Well, that's a cynical reading. Uh, a lot of law schools offer employment to recent law grads for whatever reason, but like, you know, it's tough. But if you're lucky enough, and we were lucky enough to like be in this world where like we got on the train and we've been riding this train for however long, now we can get off and get on another train. Mm-hmm. And we can bounce around law. Not mm-hmm. bounce around, but like we can make, make moves. And I did. Two, two years, two years, three months in, I made a move. Wow, that was a big wind up. So I was going to say. <laughs> Stop asking questions. Um, there was this arm's length nature of my work and the way I conceived of it. And I got this job at this other, this the firm I work at now, and I really like it, and I like the people, and it's got a good culture and all that. Um, and then, so I started in December, a year ago. When I was interviewing, I told them, I was like, my wife's pretty pregnant. (laughs) Jojo was born in February, and I took two weeks off then. And I was planning on taking the balance of my parental leave, uh, which was four more weeks. 
they had a primary secondary distinction. Um, my thinking was Sue is home with the baby. She's primary. That leaves secondary. I'm secondary. So that was my assumption throughout February, March, April, May, June, July. Well, June. And then Sue and I talked. And she was... We were arguing about... I'm sure it was arguing about... I work too much. She's stuck at home with the baby. I'm arguing about... I would do anything to be stuck at home with the baby. Uh, And she's like, well, you're not even willing to, like, take advantage of your leave policy. Like, what are you talking about? And she says, you're only going to take secondary leave. Why aren't you taking primary leave? Because my firm had a policy where if you're primary caregiver, you get 18 weeks. And I was like, what are you talking about? You're primary. I can't be primary because you're primary. I'm secondary. The secondary policy is six. And she said, no, I'm primary now, but when I go back to work full time, you'll be primary. I said, that's not how it works. She said, that's absolutely how it works. Our policy is the same, primary, secondary, and explicitly spells out that if you're in a situation where your partner has leave but then goes back to work and you decide to assume this role, that's primary. And so I looked at our policy and our policy was silent on this particular issue. Doesn't clarify. So I I said, Sue, this is clearly a misunderstanding. I had never even conceived of doing this. And she said, oh, that's interesting because I thought you were just being Being a a dick. dick. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Wow, that'd be real dickish. Like, I don't want to stay home with my baby? Well, I don't want to suffer the professional consequences, perhaps, of what it would... Got you. Uh, And so, I set up a meeting with HR at my job and said, hey, here's the situation. My wife also works in this industry. In fact, she's more senior than I am. She's going back to work full time. I'm going to be stepping into the primary caregiver role. And I'd like to take primary leave. There's a a thing. (laughs) And they said, good, that's what it's there for. Oh, for real? Yeah. And they said, people don't usually do this. Oh, really? In fact, (laughs) you're the only person (laughs) who's done this or who's like explored this. But, uh, good, that's what it's there for. This is early July. Late July. So I email HR. I email uh, my team. I explain that I'm doing this thing. I'm going to be out for 16 weeks. Basically four months. uh, Under the primary caregiver policy, even though, you know, I wasn't planning on that. I'd actually explicitly said to them months prior... Six weeks total, four more weeks. In that interim... Because our initial thinking when we first discussed this whole day situation was me coming out here in August or July. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, 
Then late July rolls around and my firm announces a new policy. Everyone, doesn't matter, we're not talking about primary, secondary. If you're a new parent, you get 18 weeks. And if you happen to have given birth, you know, carry a child, uh, you get an additional six to eight weeks. Retroactively? No, 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 not retroactively. But just like, if you're a new parent, if you adopt or there's a baby born in your family, you get 18 weeks. Mm. Not, hey, everyone, you get to go hang out with your 8-year-old for 14 more right, weeks. Correct. Right, correct. Yeah. <clears throat> Going forward, from now on, if you take parental leave, it's eligible within one year of the birth of your child, 18 weeks. So, this was like what I was intending to do. The I remember policy. you sending me that article. That was... Yeah. Do you think that was because of you? No. They had been talking about it. Oh. But the one of the reasons they had been talking about it, I think, is because they had this policy that was intended to allow people to do this thing. But no, no one was doing, doing it. it. Yeah. Except I was about to do it. Yeah. But now, so I did this thing. It like I went out on leave about a month after they announced the policy, and I you know, didn't come back in four months. And I like now see people, and they're like, no, I, th- I think it's so cool that you just, like, they uh, changed the policy and you just were like, fuck yeah, and <laughs> took it. And I was like, no, no, I was uh, I was actually planning on doing this. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a pioneer here. I'm actually a, a co-parent. Uh, my wife and I are equally invested in our child's uh, growth, development, and well-being. Um, and they're like, no, no, good, no. All right, got it, bro. That was... You know, good thinking, bro. Yeah, they're like, oh, sick. Good timing, huh? <laughs> and honestly, I was like, I was concerned when it was like this primary secondary distinction because it, I, I was. This is the thing is like this is this is what drove home for me uh, one aspect of like. Uh, gender discrimination in the world in the in the workplace was like I'm a super progressive you know me mm-hmm. you're wearing Kamala hair for the people t-shirt I'm so glad she branded her presidential campaign as for the people so I can wear this when she runs for senate um and uh I First of all, didn't even think that I could be a primary caregiver under the former policy. Like, the thought didn't even cross my mind. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I, I think of myself as being like a, a, a person who does not get stuck in these particular uh, ruts mm-hmm. with respect to these types of stereotypes or anything like that. I, you know, I... I even from the beginning, I saw myself at least in the context of our family as like definitely a co-equal parent and equally invested and involved. But as soon as I put on that like work hat and started thinking about work policy and my, my uh, relation to it, it was just like secondary caregiver. Yeah, four weeks. Yeah. Okay. 
and my my old firm was a total of four weeks, so it would have just been two more. Like wow, and I was like, wow, this is a generous policy. <laughs> Um, and it like never even crossed my mind. And like, and then when I learned from HR that like, I could do this, I was like, awesome. I'm doing this. I sent an email to my team. I'm doing this. But I was like, thinking about how is this going to be perceived? And I, you know, it was easy to imagine Part of my doing this was like a very practical, Sue's going back to work, we don't have childcare lined up. Like, you know, if Sue was willing to stay at home or had a career that was less lucrative, like I would have, that, that, how would that calculus have come out? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I want to say that I would have like done the primary, but who knows? And, like, if it's that hard for me to avail myself of a, like, stated benefit in my job, uh, how hard is it for, like, I don't know, Joe Sixpack? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that's, like, one of the interesting things we were at a um the women's initiative at work had a a, a, joe six pack (laughs) i almost said joe the plumber (laughs) that'd be too politically charged um joe six pack sounds fun (laughs) i hang out with that guy yeah um we had this women's initiative thing and it was like what can you do basically it's like Women's Initiative was getting together, being like, we need to work on, like, sex in the workplace, uh, retention and promotion of women, like, these things that are difficult for industry. And our firm, too. I mean, like, our firm is not divorced from the industry. And they're sitting around, and they're like, oh, yeah, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. This. Yeah, yeah, we're on the same page. And they're like, we all know. Basically, mm-hmm. like all the women get it because they, you know, and they're like, what we really need <laughs> is for the guys to get it. Mm-hmm. And like, we need the men to be on board with this and the men to actually get it. So we had this event where everyone, the firm got together and, and they basically were like, here's what you can do. Gentlemen, you're always asking, how can we do better? How can we be better allies? Here's your list. Get your pencils ready. And they run through it. And at one point they said, like, take your leave, take all of your leave, uh, and, you know, be vocal about the fact that you did, you were happy about it. And at that moment, I was the only person in the room who had done this because I literally had gotten back that day. Like it was that day. My first day back in the office, Thursday, December 12th. That was the day of the event. Oh, wow. It was like literally, you know. Um, this pat just just now, two days ago. Wow. Yeah. Well, they changed the policy in July. Right. And went out in August and like got back Thursday. Um. So, do you think that's and we can wrap up? Do you think? Do you think they should? That men and women should have the same leaf. I think the way we do it now is right. Right, y'all's firm. Yeah. 
everyone gets the same leave. If you went through pregnancy, you get additional medical leave. Oh, because that's that was what I was gonna say. Yeah, because like they have physical recovery. It seems like they yeah. should. Yeah. Oh yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It should be longer. So that she gets medical leave on top of that. Did she? Did she take medical leave on top of that? Uh, Is it like two more weeks? Or so I think Sue's firm had twenty or twenty-two weeks, and then but. Sue's Damn. firm, unlike a lot of firms... These are, like, super... I mean, from American standards, yeah, these yeah, are, like, absolutely. super... That's, like, as good as it gets, right? In America. Yeah. It's not, like... Yeah. So, there are private companies, like, Netflix is a year. What? Mm-hmm. And then there's another... Wait, you get a job at Netflix and you just... Get knocked up and then dip out. Uh... I'd take issue with the <laughs> my verbiage. Uh, n- a number of yeah, but you could, right? Theoretically, I-, I guess. Is it for both male and female? I don't know. I think so. I'm sure. Uh, so in your case, you could have got a job in Netflix in December. Had a baby in February. <laughs> Come back in February 2021. Made $300,000 doing nothing. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So, remember where this all started. Was that I have had a certain view of work. Right. I will work for two more weeks for you. For this marginal paycheck. When does your job stop being worth it? When do you quit? When do you leave? When do you move? Up until this. And this is why I think what Netflix is doing is not just right, but also smart. Is that I now feel, and again, this is I said this a while ago, but maybe I'm a sucker. But I feel indebted to my firm. For giving me this opportunity. Wow. Because, I mean, this is not, I don't, this is not how it usually is, and this is not me bragging, but like, you saw how JoJo reacted when I walked out the door today. Yeah. When she was there with you and with Sue. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, and she was distraught that I was leaving. Mm Mm-hmm. Because. You got to spend. I got to spend four months with that girl. Mm Mm-hmm. And like, she's my daughter. Mm -hmm. And like. She knows me, and she loves me, and, like, that was not how it was. The start of my leave was a lot like your last few days, Mm -hmm. right? She would cry and scream when Sue would leave. She wouldn't let me give her a bottle. She wouldn't go down for a nap. It was a nightmare. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what I was doing, and, like, it sucked. And now we have the best relationship. Mm -hmm. We get along so well. Yeah, you can toss around like a fucking football. Yeah. And she loves it. Yeah. And, like, it's a blast. And, like, my firm gave me that. And I did not have to. Mm-hmm. And, like, I was going to do everything I could to take that based on the policy that existed at the time. But they, right before I was about to, said, uh, we're giving this to you and we want you to take it. 
And it's probably the best thing I've ever gotten from anybody I've ever worked for. For sure, yeah. And, like, on top of the fact that they kept every two weeks giving me ten grand. <laughs> the entire yeah. fucking time. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, it's not even like, hey, you'll have a you'll have a job when you get back, but... No, no, no. They're going to pay me a stupid salary... To go hang out with your daughter. To hang out with my daughter for four months in a row. Yeah. And, like... They did that. They did that. They chose to do that. And not only that, now they're emphasizing it as like everybody do this. This yeah. is what's right. Yeah. Damn, and, that's true. And man. like and part of me feels like a sucker. Because it's like right. uh they're winning. Or like they, they got you or like whatever. Mm. But like when you were talking about Netflix, you go get a job at Netflix and just like spend a year and then peace out. Mm-hmm. Sure, but I would never do that mm-hmm. because I would feel even more so there as I do now. Like, I owe them. They did right. Like, they did the right thing. They gave me something that I they didn't have to give me that, uh, you know, is irreplaceable. And, like, I will stay there a year longer because than I otherwise would right. just because of that. Right. For sure. Mm-hmm. I will. Damn. On principle. And maybe, again, maybe that makes me sucker. Maybe, like, uh, you know. But, like, dude, it's fucking cool, man. To, 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 the, the defining feature of this job is often feeling taken for granted, feeling used up, uh, feeling taken advantage of, being up late at night or on the weekend or whatever, and, uh, yeah, having to fucking do bullshit. Mm-hmm. What feels like bullshit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then be told, like, hey, uh, thanks for this, but, you know, this comma, <laughs> straight comma, you know, let's work on that, okay? Like, you need to do a better job with this. Or, like, you know, your attention to detail is, it's like, really? Are you sure it's not because I didn't sleep last night? You, you know, fuck you, right? That is what what the experience of being in this industry is defined by conversations, condescension like that. And then, to within all of that, that's still going on. I'm, you know, mm-hmm. when we wrap this up, I'm logging back on. I got more work to do tonight. But, like, uh, against that background, this is this thing. And, like, it, you know, is great. It's great. It will be great. It will be, it's the foundation of my relationship with my daughter. And it, it's going to continue for the rest of, you know, our lives. Um, Literally life changing, potentially. Life changing. It is life changing. I get hit, hit by a bus tomorrow, be life changing. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it's awesome. It's fantastic. And, like, you know. It is life changing because, dude, there's no, there's no replacement. No amount of money yeah. can buy. 10 more weeks right. with your daughter during, you know, ages 6 through 10 months. Right. That's, you'll never, I mean, otherwise yeah. you just wouldn't I, have had that I experience. I would have gone out of pocket for that. Like, I would have paid for it. Never mind just, like, gone, you know, uh, leave without pay. And instead, they said, we, there's a priority for us. We want you to take it. It's important to the firm. We'll continue to pay you. Fucking, we ran the numbers. 
too much money to do that. Mm-hmm. And like, it's crazy, you know. And the you know so so it's both. On the one hand, I feel like a sucker. On the other hand, I'm like I, I I've composing in my head. I have been for a few days, and I'm going to actually write it out and send it to the managers of the firm. Yeah, I was going to say, have you said this to like, anyone? You you this was you should this was the right move. Yeah, because I think there was a lot of hesitation on the part of the firm. They were talking about it for a while, and um, yeah, they ended up doing it. But like, so cool, so cool, and like, there there are and will be and have been like shitty days and weeks and months even. But like, they gave me that thing, and like. Maybe maybe it's a year in Sweden or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like it's not. It's in fucking Sweden, baby. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So this be a good time to mention that our last podcast episode is brought to you by Munger Holden. <laughs> Dude. Yeah. No, man. I mean, like it's the shit. It's so cool. It's so cool. Um. Yeah. Tight. What's in there for tonight? All right. Four hours in. A lot more podcasts to come mm. from this, man. It's pearls of wisdom. We need a um, an audio engineer. I know, dude. There's I- a dude who's going to, like, review it, cut it, like, trim it. Dude. Yeah. Maybe I do. I mean, I... I yeah, because that's the worst, man. I've... I've I have this, this is the 25th interview I've done. I got a guy. Do you? Mm-hmm. We'll see if he's up for it. I've edited three, <laughs> and it's takes forever. It's so brutal. Yeah, I've long thought that there should be a third-party server. A recording. Yep, we're hot. Uh, Mike's hot. There's, uh, you know, Levi Strauss. Yeah, my boy. Great jeans, <laughs> Levi. Great, great dude. Great dude. Great jeans. <laughs> um, you know about that company. No, I know the way jeans. <laughs> All right. Well, do you know? The, my understanding is that they got their their start in California in the mid eighteen hundreds. Gold rush or something? Exactly. So one of the views of gold rushes and like any sort of economic explosion that occurs is uh, the way to make money in California in nineteen forty nine. 1849. Excuse me. <laughs> uh, in 1849, was not to get a, a pan and a filter and a oh, I story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was to be selling the pans. Right, yeah, yeah. Or the shovels. Right. Or the strips of land. Mm-hmm. Right? Anytime you see a flurry of economic activity and it seems like everyone's Mm. You know, making money on podcasts, mm-hmm. on podcasting. Mm-hmm. You do not want to get into that game. You want to be one step removed from it. Mm-hmm. Right? And so I've always thought, and I'm sure they exist, it's like there should be a company where you send raw audio, audio. Yeah. and they have editors, they have, uh, you know, people taste, I don't know, people who, who, who understand the medium. Mm-hmm. Understand what sells, uh, 
and basically they'll they'll edit it, clean it up, take out the ums and ahs or like mm-hmm. whatever, and then send it back to you mm-hmm. for a fee. Mm-hmm. I would fucking sign up for that in a heartbeat, dude. It's yeah. Editing one of these motherfuckers, especially because it's your voice, and so you're so, like, uh, I don't know if insecure is the word, but, like, hyper-focused on the ums and uhs and shit like that. Mm-hmm. Ugh, it's so brutal. But, I mean, but the other way to do it is, like, for instance, like, how Rogan does his podcast, he just fucking puts it up, man. But. He's a professional. He's on. He's so good. Yeah. He's so good He's on the mic. thousands of these things. Yeah. Or over a thousand of these things at this point. Yeah. Goal for you from five years from now? Get on his podcast. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That would be a dream come true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a goal. Absolute goal. Longer goal than that would be to be I would want to be that via travel. What? Like I wanna take he has people come to him. I want to go to them. Wait a second. I just meant you record you, a podcast. I'm taking with the next Joe step. <laughs> I'm taking the next step. I would want to be the. Joe. I want to be the Anthony Bourdain of Joe Rogan. Yes. 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 Yeah. Actually, it's even better. I want to be the next Anthony Bourdain. That void needs well, to be filled. Dude, got we know how that is. Diners, drivers, and dives. <laughs> But that's how I want to be, man, except uh, not via food. Maybe via, like, physical activity would be, like, the common, you know, uniting factor or whatever. Sports. Anthony Bourdain meets Bear Grylls. Yeah. Yeah. That would be dope as fuck, <laughs> man. It's you doable. Meet, you meet up with people. You roll for a bit. Yeah. When he taps. <laughs> Or climb mountains or yeah. fucking, you know, travel to fucking, travel to these countries or these parts of the world and, like, learn about what's the, like... Just break someone. Yeah. What's what's the cool physical activity you are doing here? Tell me about it. Show me about it. And then learn, learn the culture via physical activity. <clears throat> That'd be fucking dope. And just don't kill yourself with the end. Because <laughs> remember, that's the guiding principle at all. His terms, bro. <laughs> Out on his terms. Out on his terms. I mean, yeah, it's one way to look at it. Yeah, I think all that shit's doable. It's about direction, man. It's about me finding, identifying a path and stop just like meandering around and taking whatever next opportunity comes my way. It's about actually taking control of my life, identifying a goal, identifying a path, and pursuing that relentlessly with confidence and enthusiasm. There it is. Rather than just pursuing life in general with confidence, enthusiasm, but without direction. Right. God damn, I gotta go log back on. I can't fucking do this shit. Go earn my paycheck! Gotta go earn my paycheck. My paycheck. Let's make this the next, this last of five minutes, let's make that the next podcast like, uh, like, pi- like long term dreams and goals. Yeah. Ice cream sandwiches.